here early. <laughs> we're a little early, guys, because um, we're going to let somebody come on and promote an event. So we decided to come on a little early. At nine, of course, we will be talking with Keaton and Russ. Hello! Oh, okay, all right. Is Mario out there? Hello! La, la, la. Um, you kind of killed it just from coming on and saying we're a little early. It almost, it threw me off my whole vibe. And I just realized oh, I still have my, I still have the things in my hair that hold it back. All right. Your hair's terrible. My hair's right. terrible. I know. Well, I, I usually have those things up and then we go live and I, sometimes I forget they're in there. Like I'll be like the lady sitting here with like curlers in my hair one day. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, uh, there's been some interesting things afoot. I was watching some of that, uh, uh, what's his name? Schultz. Well, Her no, I, brought, I brought him on what's today. That? I was going to tell him that he was not a good guy. He's very dishonest, and unfortunately, he decided. That Howard. He gonna, that's his name. Howard. He's Schultz. gonna. He thinks he's gonna get away with union busting. Not on my watch. And well, and the thing is, is that he knows the truth, which is that nothing's really gonna happen. He'll at what what they're gonna do? They'll get a slap on the wrist. Maybe he'll get a fine. No, we'll talk about he, it. He could Keaton wipe his ass and, uh, with Russell. But the truth is, is that Schultz said exactly what he needed to say. We didn't break the law. And guess what? Even though what they did was clearly union busting because labor laws have been completely decimated. How do they figure country. they didn't, though, when the administrative judge found that they did? So that's like coming out of a courtroom when you have a verdict that says guilty that's, and then saying, yeah, but I'm not guilty. Yeah, but once it gets to the Supreme Court, nothing's going to happen. And that's basically well, and it, it it wouldn't matter anyway. People, when you get to that level of wealth, I just think you're just completely either you stop shopping at Starbucks or it's not gonna matter. I can honestly say that I could probably count the amount of money I've spent in Starbucks in my lifetime, like has got to be under fifty dollars. All right. Well, we're 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 pressed for time, so let's not waste. We will talk more about this when we are on okay. shortly, but in the meantime. Jen has a very unique ability to connect with the Gen Z population. Because really, I'm like them in my head. Yeah. I do. I, I look in the mirror and I'm like, what the? F but like, I feel like I'm like them in my head. Well, the Miami-Dade Young Dems have a plethora of good people. And one of them happens to be Evan Gerson, who is really taking a shining to Jen as she has taken a shining uh, to yeah, him. Yeah, you know. Evan, welcome to Generational Change. Hey, guys. Hey, so, how are you? Doing well. So I'm blown away by that Bernie Sanders accent. I, well, I, I I'm grateful for the youth that want to come on here and support you, our cause. And you are always welcome. Your support is very much appreciated. Tell me that if he didn't if he didn't call you with that, that you wouldn't over the phone. Like he's done the some of his voices when we're on the phone, and it's really like it sounds real. I got my fingerprints done when I was getting my real estate license a couple of years ago, and the lady who was helping me was a, when, when I say a diehard Trump supporter, I mean like a diehard Trump supporter. I mean, we are in Florida. And so what ended up happening was she couldn't believe that I was totally able to convince her oh that my. she was talking to the president of the United States. And so what she did, I'm not kidding. She called a friend, literally put her on speakerphone and she said, just talk like Trump. She said, <laughs> This is really great to meet you. It's really good. The woman sounded like she was going to cry. <laughs> See, Mr. He, Pre Mr. President, I love you And he has so the much. mask. So like when he gets into it, because he, he has the mask. You are the person who's totally making America great again. And we're appreciative. We're very appreciative. And she totally <laughs> bought it. She really thought I was drunk. That's one of my favorite experiences was her like literally was convinced that she was talking to the president. Just some random chance that I, I was going to. The president is going to walk into a what, what is it? What's the place called again? Where you get your fingerprints done? A um, notary. 
Well, oh, no, it's fingerprints at a lot of places. One of them's a police station. Well, it was not a police <laughs> station. Okay, I'm just saying. It's totally, you know, not, I, I, totally not arresting me. That's never happened. Uh, I'm just saying. But it was like, yeah, it was a notary office, and that was uh, pretty interesting. But I always say that if I have to convince the ladies to listen to our show, just remember I am responsible for all of the terrible policies that have come about over the last 25 years, but the ladies still love me because I put on the Clinton charm, and that's that. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that I, good? Yeah, that's um who I, I don't remember his name he he does social media he did an impression of i mean he's done pre- pretty much everyone he went on and he did uh basically he debated ron DeSantis and trump with the voices um i mean i want to learn how to do that because i i have a ton of international friends like i have a friend in scotland and i'll find myself talking to him and they'll try and get into his voice but it's not it's like a he very doesn't, don't do it you always sound like the guy from lucky charms who are you talking about when you start to do like the scottish or irish accents oh well i'm not i'm not doing that right now so uh, let's talk. We don't have time. Yeah. So let's talk okay, about yeah, yeah. this event, Evan. So, guys, I met Evan um, at an event over the weekend where um, Maxwell Frost was down here and, and did a nice little chat. So, Evan works with the Young Dems in Miami Dade and talk a little bit about this event and who can come and all that. All right. So, um, my name is Evan. I'm a student organizer who's been pretty active in politics. I think it's so important that Gen Z gets involved in politics. We're the most loud generation. We have the ability to connect through people through social media. It's connected. I I mentioned I have international friends. The fact that we're able to do that, we're raised in that. I mean, it it just attests to the voices we have and the power we have to make change. So I'm working with some fellow students from my school and from across the state to create an an event for AP African-American studies. So I personally have taken a number of AP courses, and I think it's something that's so important that guides your entire academic career, be it from high school to college, from college to to law school, to med school, to any sort of further education. And I think AP African-American studies is something that's so necessary, not only to provide further academic opportunity, to get people invested in AP and higher education itself, to take further APs, to just embrace a love of learning, but to create a wiser future generation. So I'm working with um, these fellow students, uh, friends from school, friends from a governmental program called Boys State, just kids who are passionate about this, who want to make this kind of change. And we're putting on a speaker series in Coconut Grove at the Macedonia uh, Missionary Baptist Church, one of the most historic churches in South Florida. And it's April 8th, 1 to 3 p.m. We're going to feature a number of speakers from our community a lot of which are students. One of my personal goals is to get students out there, get their voices out. And I want kids to go up there on stage to just go in front of people and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. This is my story. This is what I want to do. And this is what I want to say. This is why I support this cause. This is why I think, you know, even if it's a college student, if I could go back and take this, this could have this sort of profound impact. I want to share people's stories. And uh, we're, we're hoping to have a number of political figures um, hoping for Rep Driscoll, who seems to be uh, somewhat of a possibility. Uh, I've been talking to Chevron Jones's. Staff. I was going to say, this seems like a chef would be very supportive of this. Yeah. And I, it was so funny because at the Frost event, that's where I first met him. And I've always been a fan of him. Uh, he, he's, oh my God, he's a sweetheart. He's such a nice guy. And I only found out he was a former AP chemistry teacher. 
And yeah. he said he got he got involved because of the fact that COVID, his classes, his honors class, I believe, or CP class was behind a year. And it, it, it just attested to the fact that there are problems in our current education system. Now, I do have to admit, I am wearing a, a Florida versus all y'all t-shirt. <laughs> and and I, I'm pretty invested in the college decision process. All but, right. So uh, guys, definitely show up at this. I, you know what? I think we'll have to make, will you drive? To Coconut Grove? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I won't be here. So Where are you going to be? I'll be in... Uh, I'll be in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know this, but I, yeah, he'll be home. So yeah, I definitely would like to go and, um, and meet the people that are involved in this. I think it's really important. This actually sounds like the kind of thing we're trying to do on the Gen Z report. Um, and this is the kind of thing that going forward, I think we should cover on the Gen Z report. Like it'd be good that maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe if one of the guys can come down there. But um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. And we will keep promoting it on social media. And um, guys, you might be able to see Evan coming up on the Gen Z report. I'm going to run it by the team tomorrow. And I think we can initiate him into We're We're very clicky, Evan. We're very clicky that way. Yeah, we just, not really. No. We like everybody. So, um, yeah. So, guys, check out this event. Be supportive of the kids. If you're in the area, show up for this. Um, and they definitely need mentoring. You know, that's where we need to like help this happen. So thank you so much, Evan, for sharing this with us and coming on and chatting. Of course, I'm anything. We, we need to get Gen Z involved. And, you know, if that means I have to do a subpar Irish or other accent <laughs> on the Gen Z podcast, I, I might just have to. Let me assure you, uh, the only Irish one here is me, Peter Grant Hager. So you must understand <laughs> you cannot impersonate an Irishman. You are either Irish or you're not. In you're partially. That's right. I am partially. <laughs> the good part, anyway. The other half is tribe. Yeah. <laughs> I have to work around that. <laughs> Thank you, Evan, guys. So we'll talk more about this coming up at April 8th, 1 to 3, down in Coconut Grove. Um, we need to talk about this. We've talked about this on the show, but, yeah, it's important. These kids are the ones who are losing out. So thanks for coming on, Evan. We'll talk, you and I. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye, Guys, sweetie. brother, have a great evening. He's so cute. So you've definitely done yourself uh, well. Well, you know what it is? It's so funny because like other people's kids like me and think I'm cool, even though my kids don't like me and think I'm cool. It's so funny. So I almost get to like be the cool mom to other people's kids. That's what I feel like, that it allows me to be that because I don't have to discipline these people. These are other people's problems. <laughs> so what is it? We're, we're t what, what did Joe do? What did he do? What Joe didn't do, I think, is more of the question. Uh, Joe, has, Joe hasn't done much. No, he's broken, <clears throat> he's broken his promises. But no, come on, man, I don't know anything. Uh, no, but we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Senator for Vermont and what he had to say yes. to Howard Schultz, because that's important. Can I say fuck Howard Schultz? Right. God, that guy. Well, we've been douchebag. We've been demonetized 10 times over, thanks to you now. We were demonetized when I sat down this morning. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. We're pushing 12,000 subscribers now, and yet for some reason, we can only get 11 people to turn out initially well, for our live stream. I wonder, are we possibly <laughs> shadow banned? I still I am not know. completely sure that that's a real thing. I think it must be. I don't know. clearly we're... If we're doing so well with our clips and our shorts, and yet the live stream. Because what are we competing against at this time? I don't know. But There's Tim, probably cooler people on. Yeah. Tim Pool's on. I don't know. Katie Halpert is on. Well, right look, Katie I mean, people are our people. 
Yeah, I mean, look, if people are live, they're live. But I don't know. Keaton and uh, Russell are going to have to give us a little bit of insider information regarding uh, what they do so spectacularly that we don't because they're live. Well, the one thing they did spectacularly lately was that Hillary, that ridiculous Hillary thing. (laughs) I can't. No, but but they did like it was hard enough for me. Like, I don't know that I could have stomached it if there wasn't like other people covering it, because otherwise I, I can't watch her. I can't watch her. I, I, I find her just completely insufferable. Well, I don't think that there is anything worth actually watching when it comes to her because most, if not everything that she talks about is just complete, you know, hogwash. Although, of course, you know, Keaton and Russell did a really great job. Yeah, guys, uh, if you don't know, Hillary is going to be teaching foreign policy. At, at Columbia University. Yeah. You know, because, of course, she's going to teach <laughs> at a place that's about a 15-minute drive from her palatial palace. That's in, uh, so not the point. No, it's well, it's it's that is, she first of all, she should be in prison. OK, um, much of which for foreign policy. So I just find it incredibly ironic that she's going to be teaching. Like, honestly, I'm in the bizarro world. All right. Let's get this going, man. Yeah. Uh, well, we are early. But are we? That's OK. okay. We're that's a little never, early. OK. That's not for a bad thing. No, it's just we're, no. very atypical when we're early. But um, yeah, this is race. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Wow. Wisconsin's Supreme Court race. Yeah, because this lady who's running is supposedly going to do away with, um, well, it's going to be a couple things. But obviously, the Wisconsin is, while it is a, it is a split state, it's basically, it is a swing state. I mean, we could be honest about what it really is. It's it is a, a populist state. It is though. a po- very populist state. It's libertarian and progressive. But yeah. the point is, the maps in Wisconsin are almost as bad as how they gerrymandered Ohio, how they gerrymandered New York. And it works both ways. You know, yeah. it doesn't, it, the maps in this state are ridiculous. Really are. Uh, but again, the goal is to just avoid having competitive races. And the goal is to keep people. incumbents where they are, yes. period. That is and the all the incumbents kind of work together. Their parties yeah. are irrelevant. They all have each other's backs to sit where they are. It doesn't matter what party they're in. I'm not going to share that information, Keaton. We'll just keep it to ourselves. But thank you. That's important. We'll see if that actually Go back matters. And see. Uh, uh, that this is apparently uh, keys to the with our with our live stream. You don't do it anymore. Really? We just have a regular banner. Well, we should test it out. Uh, see if that makes a difference. I used to uh, do them. No, I used I to spend so much time doing graphics, and I felt like nobody appreciated them. And then I just was like, screw it. The only thing that matters is the eyeballs coming on. So don't, you know, most people don't. I'm so tired of critiques about my thumbnails. It's like, God damn it, man. These thumbnails aren't good either. Audience and it's complete. Listen, it'd be one thing if our channel wasn't engaged at all, but the shorts are engaging. The clips are engaging. We're very engaging, but not the live stream. So start making the clips again in the live stream, please. Fine. You know them from Due Dissonance. They are doing an excellent job of reporting the news without being uh, sellouts, shills, and all those wonderful things. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I de- Well, listen, I, I definitely did that today, and we're going to talk about it, but I did a really good job, and you guys are going to hear more <laughs> about it. Keenan Russell from Due Dissonance, welcome to Generational Change again. What up? Uh- Hey, it's good to see you guys. I was cracking up watching you guys covering that ridiculous Hillary story. It was so funny. 
<laughs> that ad is so, I actually thought it, the, the, when I see things like that, it almost feels like it's the onion. She really comes off as somebody who is so devoid of any genuine emotion <laughs> or feeling. She hates the common people like with a burning passion. I feel like she's like a lizard. She's like a pod person. Well, yeah, that's how these theories uh, take hold. I had <laughs> well, to watch I'm it. Joking about that. I had to watch it a few times before we went live with it, so that I wouldn't just laugh through the whole thing. Because the first couple times I watch it, I just broke up, and I'm like, you know, I have to watch it a few more times to get this out of my system. I still cracked a little bit when we watched it. Uh, but I did. Yeah, I, I thought for that because I couldn't. I, yeah. I thought about uh, I thought about taking a screenshot of the text exchange we had because he sent it to me. I watched it and I texted him back. I will I will never forgive you for sending that to me. That's a one time <laughs> you can't go more than one view on that shot. It's just too much. Where did they put that? Where was that? Because like it didn't come up on any of my. Uh, yeah, no. Well, they they tweeted it out. I don't know why I'm on Columbia's radar. I'm the last guy who I would think would be on their radar, but for some well, reason it came up because you needed to see it. Somebody needs to fall on that sword for the rest of us and know that that's out there in the world. I'm not sure why. Maybe you someone know, quote tweeted it to make fun of it or something. And that was someone I follow. I don't know, but it came across my radar and I'm like, man, this is just too, too good. Not I mean, what is great about this wanting to go down there and talk to them. That's what that I was just going to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm right in the neighborhood. I am on it. I am on it. I am like Kolchak. I am going over there and getting <laughs> to the bottom of this story. Because I, I cannot imagine that there are that many kids that age that are not somewhat aware as to the actual situation with that woman. I like, will be fascinated to see what I'm I'm really doing this. I'm no, gonna, you should. I'm going to do this curious. in the next couple of weeks. I'm going down there. And then when the classes start, I'll go back again. But right yeah. now, yeah. I'm going to just go to the Columbia campus and ask people. I'm, I'm curious, like, what's their initial reaction yeah. to that? Yeah. And what the percentage is like, OK, maybe you get a couple of like Dem sycophants somewhere in there. Like, if only we had voted for Hillary, everything would be fine. But I would think for the most part, not. I don't agree. You not from my experience way. of Ivy League students. My experience of Ivy League students is they are fucking dumb as dog shit. Like, like if you if you want to find out why the country is in the mess that it's in, go to an Ivy League campus and talk to these people. I don't these think are the ones who are going to be running things. Dumb. I mean, I don't think dumb versus smart versus just Hillary not being popular. That's more what I'm like. I'm not saying that that I think Ivy League kids are particularly you know special, but I just think in general that that generation. Um, that she's not necessarily that popular. I think it's also a reflection of where a lot of the kids are coming from. Remember, they are the, privileged. The student, the student base. Well, and that's why she's popular with them. That's, so. that's 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 where I'm saying no. I yeah. don't think so. You're going to go over there and you're going to get that contingent of people who are like, she should have been president. It's terrible, Jill Stein. That's uh, what you're going to get from those kids. Maybe, think, maybe I'll be pleasantly more, surprised. No, I want to know. And when you do that, this will definitely be a good follow-up because I am very like curious what that – and the demographics of who says what. Right. Also yeah. be very yeah. You have to remember that it has a lot to do with that. 
I mean, the student ba- the student body that you're going to also find at NYU is going to be very similar. Whereas the student body sure. that you're going to find at Hunter College, at St. John's, and maybe even Fordham is going to have a completely different attitude about Hillary Clinton. The ones that come from extremely privileged backgrounds, whether in Manhattan, mm-hmm. whether in Brooklyn, whether mm-hmm. in Westchester or Rockland County, their whole disposition about life is that even if they were born into this privilege, they're somehow you know, it's somehow benevolent of them to actually, you know, have this attitude that we deserve this shit. We deserve to be on the high horse. They think that they're in a meritocracy. Yeah, we're blue bloods. Right. And and that is the one thing you can tell with Hillary is that she doesn't hide her resentment for the common people. She really hates average people. All all the counties that were most productive, that were most economically dynamic, they all voted for me. That's and but that, said that. But Keaton, get in here. I mean, that's a mask off moment. That's Hillary basically saying, Yeah, I do hate you. I just want your vote. Now listen, good child, and vote for me because as Debbie Wasserman Schultz also likes to say, I know what's best for everybody. They can hate me all they want, but I know what's best. Yeah, I mean, my expectation is that when Russ interviews students, especially when the semester starts and he'll get to interview people who are actually taking the course, my guess is when confronted about her abysmal foreign policy record, their answer will be something like what every other Democrat says when they are confronted on her record. Yeah, you know, she's not perfect. She made some mistakes, but she's still one of the most accomplished people in America. And it's an honor to learn from her because she's the most qualified candidate ever to run for president they'll just pivot to that that's what i said in the video they admire hillary because she represents the pursuit of power that is all they admire her for the record doesn't really matter to them it doesn't really factor in they admire her because she's a queen i lived in brooklyn during the 2016 campaign they had literal graffiti of her face and yas queen under that's all that matters is that she represents pursuit of power uh, why do you tell me these things she's a woman who you miserable gave it her best shot stop it to, <laughs> at, at, at the throne and that that's all they care about that's all Let these people ask, care about okay, well, i don't think it's important. that they don't know i think it's that they don't care this is the important part russell you will need to distinguish between the groups of people that chose to take that class versus kids that just happen to be at that school like you very well could get much more sycophantic people to that that would choose to take that that think that would be worthwhile whereas yes, there could be students there that think oh my god she should be in prison yeah see i don't think that's going to be the preponderance of people I that makes interview. me so sad. i think maybe it's going to, to be to eight or that. nine out of ten if, if if not even higher like it's going to be such in my hey i i will be amazed so to be wrong about, about this. this i'm so when, sad when i have debated ivy league people about politics they are the scum of the earth. The only people who are worse than they are are artists. They're the absolute bottom scum, <laughs> just absolute scum. The one notch above them are Ivy Leaguers. You, I, I, I have never experienced such just because of their privileges as impenetrable as your typical liberal is. They are they are bulletproof, man. You can show them maps, charts, diagrams, play recordings. You could show them Hillary Clinton literally whacking a Honduran 
with an automatic uh, sidearm. And no, 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 no. Well, that was probably the situation. It was probably the situation she was in. She probably didn't have a choice. And even if she made a mistake, well, nobody could have made a better choice in that situation. You've never been in that situation. They are completely impenetrable because as, as you, you both were saying, they're being trained to be in the leadership class. They're being trained to be in the ruling class. Being right is beside the point. Being right according to elites is the point. And if you're in a society that's coming apart, where your elites are increasingly corrupted and have no real connection anymore to basing their decisions on meaningfully trying to benefit society with those decisions, then if you're being trained to think like them, you're being trained to think badly. You're being trained to be fundamentally stupid for the benefit of your career. That's what you're going to find on an Ivy League campus. I think, I, will you're be- up, I think you're bringing up a very important point because we see a lot of things that happen in general in the political sphere. And we're looking at it in a completely objective way to say, this doesn't make any sense. Like people, everyone thinks yep. that there's like this bubble that people live in when they're on the Hill, for example. And the way I see it, they all know the score, but their career comes first. And if it means that they have to make a complete fool of themselves in the process by acting like they don't know that Russiagate was a hoax, that they don't know that all war is bullshit and it can be ended tomorrow, but it's all about natural resources and how much we can take advantage of working people, not just in this country, but around the world. So much of this is just such obvious shit, but they're not going to say it because once you're in that life, yeah. It's pretty damn intoxicating See, to have eight full-time assistants. I'm yeah, but it's also not – I want to add this because I think this is so important. Much. Sorry, go okay. ahead, Jen. No, no, I, didn't I was mean just to- going to say this is why it's – like I am so obsessive about getting in with the Gen Z kids. I feel like this is where we need to really be creating a revolution with them. It really upsets me to think that people that are young um, that – I don't know. It bothers me. And I think that it's really disturbing. And so I am going to try to co-opt as many of those kids as I can. That's all I'm saying. Like I, and he'll tell you, like they, they kind of leech onto me and I will take these kids and I'm leading an army of a revolution. And so she's at least well-intended. It's not like she's leading them into the deep forest and is going to throw them into the (laughs) mushroom. I I heard myself the other day. I'm like, I'm like, everyone thinks how does protest too much. I pick up these kids. I I realize how that sounds. But like, I'm going to create an army that's going to have to fight against these Columbia people then. Yeah, but the Columbia people and all of these like shallow careerist libs, um, you know, we like to make a caricature of them as, you know, rubbing their hands together, knowing that they're lying to themselves and to everybody else, but they're making out well. And so we, we got a nice little scam going. It's not that conscious for so many exactly. of them. It's exactly. like most, it, uh, uh, not most people who go to church, but there are a lot of people who go to church every Sunday as a matter of ritual, who, if you really sit them down and force them to tell the truth, they're like, yeah, I don't really believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, but this is my thing. This is where I go. This is my crowd, right? I, I take the communion. I go through the ritual. It's just a social ritual that I go through. And to a lot of these type people, that sort of center left politics is church to yep. a yep. marginally religious person, right? It's a ritual. It's what they do. It's how they live. 
right? A lot of it's what they do for a living. And then obviously you meet people at work and you go out, to, you know, after work for a beer on Friday, whatever. It's that to them. It's well, that. The, the most important part is it's how they gain their position and it's how they maintain their position, right? They, they have got to parrot this way of looking at the world to get the nice McKinsey job that leads to the nice Goldman Sachs job that leads to the nice multi-million dollar income, maybe go to government to build the resume a little bit, then go sit on a board of directors. If you want that kind of life, you got to uh, you got to accept this worldview from very early on. As soon as soon as soon as you start to speak out on that, it's like they live. We've got one who can see. Right. <laughs> they can't, they That's can't another have that. great movie, by the way, for anybody who hasn't seen it. I mean, the we should cover scene, that for the film club. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah absolutely. The it's fight great. scene lasted a little too long, but overall, mm. uh, the whole mess. I mean, listen, I'm not sure what movie you're talking about. They just they justify it. I don't see that. You have no. That's a great film. Isn't that a never scary saw movie? They Live? Not really. Is it not really like scary? No, it's 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 really it's. It's it's kind of like if Rod Serling. That's what I was just gonna say. It's like a Twilight. If he collaborated zone, with like Marshall McLuhan on a movie. Yeah, I don't right. know. It sounds like yeah. a guy thing to me. John Carpenter. Like I don't know. This Do yourself a favor and just trust just us guys for once. No, every time I've seen a movie, that a bunch of guys recommend. I always think it's stupid. Every it's got, single well, well, Hold on a minute. Every hold time. On, hold on a minute. You are an '80s wrestling fan. Yeah, but that was more because it was something I did because me and my dad did that. So yeah, Roddy, Roddy Piper. Let me, I met him and Hulk Hogan. and He's Anthony the lead of that movie. He's the star of the movie. But that, that doesn't, I don't know. All right, I'll think about it. But no. that's, we're talking <laughs> about, but it's not as a professional wrestling thing. It's a, it's a, I don't know. Listen, 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 Jen, this is, there's a movie. Okay. Where it turns out that all of the elites are aliens who are subliminally programming everybody. And Rowdy Roddy Piper gets glasses that allows him to see the programming. So he holds up the money to his face. It says, this is your God. Okay. He holds up right. a magazine. Yeah. It says consume right. sleep eight hours, work eight hours. Like it's great. It's great. It's obey. One the, obey is the obey. Best obey. Yeah, obey. Right. That's, yeah, the, that's the big one. Because That's the big billboard. Right. The that's the big, big that's the iconic. Image. Obey. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but that is what they do. They obey. And there are people yep. who will not question it, even if deep in their soul, they know it's wrong. Yep. And we're dealing with something like that down here uh, because <laughs> let's just put it this way. We never name names, but the empress has no clothes. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who are starting to come around to that fact, even though they will not say it publicly because fear of retribution, even something at a local level, there is this fear of, well, how do we get out from under this hell that we've been living in for so long? Well, one of those people who has considerable influence has had enough of it and went so far as to just basically say that depending on what happens in the future, I will not be afraid to stand up to her. And that says a lot. Eventually, are, we are we talking about Debbie Wasserman? We are talking here? about. He can't help himself. I was going to say, do you want to put in the private chat who the fuck you're talking about, so that <laughs> I don't just, everyone knows what he's thinking? We all have to just know what's going on. I'm actually there. pretty good at subliminal messaging, so oh. I guess <laughs> I think that was what it was. But I wasn't sure. Yeah, I just like, think hmm. we're, you know, it's kind, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the photo in Paris from, you know, there must have been. How many people? A couple hundred thousand that were in the street. Oh, the yellow vest. And, and so, oh, now, now. Well, this one right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're thinking about how do you make the impact in this country, 
and you think about what are the things that it's going to take in order to get change done. And when everyone's out there talking about George Floyd or talking about some event where a lot of people are marching in the street, the fact of the matter is 99% of the population, while wanting some type of police reform, which was what the whole George Floyd protests are about, that is not going to dictate whether or not you can put food on your plate, whether or not you have health care, whether or not you have real economic opportunity, like what's, and we'll get to obviously what happened today with Bernie and, and Howard Schultz. If we had a couple hundred thousand people march on Washington specifically for the purpose of universal health care, then something would happen. That's the truth. But I mean, I getting, think it would take more than a march. I think it would take the kind of action that you're seeing in France now. It right. would take yeah. mass resistance, that, civil that would, and sometimes uncivil disobedience, right? But they have social safety nets in place so that they can afford to do that. Like places like that can have well, a general sure. strike because they have health care anyway. They don't need their job for their health care. Like there's there's a lot of things in those countries that have that sort of safety. And they also prioritize workers, even at the countries that they're protest. It's still better than it is in terms of how we allow our workers to be treated here. Well, um, if you. Yeah. Uh, this this clip, I don't know why this clip, because it wasn't uh wasn't really groundbreaking. It was just kind of a summation of a certain left thinking over the last few years. But uh, Glenn Greenwald and Russell Brand had this clip where Glenn basically said, and I, I've said this on the show, not as eloquently as he did, but I've said this in the past, that the, the, the elites have two choices. You throw enough crumbs to the people to keep them from revolting. Or you say, fuck it, they're going to revolt anyway, and you invest in suppressing the population. And he's arguing they've chosen suppressing the population rather than to provide for the population. I don't know why that particular clip set people off. But ever since that clip came out, I mean, maybe it's a psyop. Probably is. But I have seen so much about Russell Brand is a right winger ever since he's that not. clip dropped. Not, I mean, not. I know it's not the first wave of that, but this is like the second major push to convince people that Russell Brand is a dangerous right wing threat. I just and it, it, it happened when him. that clip dropped. I've been watching him for years. And as somebody who is con I consider myself fairly left, um, I don't find him right wing at all. So no, I don't no, know what not. it is that people it's like because he's communicating with people that you're not supposed to. Communicate no, it isn't with. just that. It isn't just that. They actually think that things that he says and things that he's talked about indicate a right wing lean. And I completely disagree. I think that they don't recognize an actual leftist. Like it's almost like he's let. I mean, he really he doesn't have a problem with the idea of open borders. Like, this is not a right-wing authoritarian person in any way. And I just think that that's very interesting. Well, they... It, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, they, they, uh, they project their own uh, behavior onto their enemies. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's what Wasserman Schultz was doing to Taibbi. Right? Right. Taibbi's not legitimate. Taib, this is somebody who got removed from the chair of the DNC, which, you know, to, to, to get in trouble for corruption in that job, that's like getting a ticket at the Indianapolis 500. How <laughs> corrupt do you have to be 
before you get called out for corruption in that position. Like you're too corrupt for the Democrats even. (laughs) We are are extremely grateful that we were able to get Matt on. And clearly, uh, you know, the one thing Debbie is, we, we, we have always said about Debbie for many years is that she is the gift that keeps on giving. And we mean that in the sense of whenever she thinks that it's her opportunity to make a big splash in politics, she ends up pissing off the wrong people. And when you piss off somebody like Matt Taibbi, who is really connected politically and really understands what it means to make the wrong political enemy, well, he comes on our show and we put out, obviously, a handful of clips. Now, we had the most successful clip we've ever done in the history of this podcast, which is just about two and a half years old. Yeah, I saw it. We've gotten over 130,000 views. But what's most interesting about the clip is the comments. See, paying attention to what the people and the one thing you guys can probably agree on when it comes to the actual, you know, mindset of the average person, YouTube comments are generally the best. You are going to find that people are very direct about what they think. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Not as much. You realize that she is like when we had him on and I knew she would have what I call her Marsha, Marsha, Marsha moments with me. Mm -hmm. And I know that that I poke that like I know that I do. And I always expect the repercussion. And the other day I remember saying there's going to be repercussion for this. And I now just realize what it is in my head. Yeah. And And there has now been locally a reprisal for me having Matt Taibbi on the show. Like there's just certain things that go on that I just know are like her having like basically I'll show you and this is now something else that just happened that now I can tie to this the overwhelming majority I would say probably close to 90 plus percent of the comments were extremely positive Mm -hmm. uh even if they don't necessarily agree with Taibbi they definitely agree that the idea that the Democrats for a second thought that it was wise to have Wasserman Schultz as any type of a spokesperson in any capacity for the party. For is an ethics. It's just, it's like political suicide. <gasps> and the few people that would come on and, and say that they support Wasserman Schultz are more or less the exact type of person that you're talking about, Russ. That is exactly who they are. They are that person that is part of that crowd. And one of them who made this comment about, oh, Debbie really owned Taibbi. Well, you know what? The <laughs> well, the majority report, they did a whole segment about that. Listen, we love Mikey. And I even I talked to him. In no, private. he's talking about Sam. No, he's. Oh, did you say the majority report? Yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, the yeah. No, he's talking about Sam. Uh, yeah. I didn't watch it because I just can't. I <laughs> Sam has been on our show a handful of times. And he I absolutely, like Sam. He absolutely supports Jen. He cannot stand Wasserman Schultz. But there's this crowd that you, there's an audience you build that you feel you have to play to. And that's the thing about any business where I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, I was like you know, a little surprised that Mike Figueredo even said. Well, Mikey and I, like I said, I talked with him privately. And that was a conversation where uh, I, I even said to him that this is you're not serving any purpose by doing this. And he got it. And it's like, yeah, they want the clicks and all that. But again, your hatred of Elon Musk should have nothing to do with recognizing that Debbie Wasserman Schultz should be the bane of everyone's existence in left politics. Everybody. So wait, well, well, and your hatred of Elon Musk should have nothing to do with how you feel about the Twitter files. I can't stand Elon Musk. And I get this. Like, well, see, this the, is why you guys get some of those people on your uh, comments, which is not a knock. But I'm just saying, like, we didn't get anybody like 
I don't think we had anybody like one or two people in like the 10 clips that we posted, um, you know, um, because probably it has to do with the fact that you're a little more tuned into Democratic Party politics because you ran a primary than the campaign. So, like, you still have some stragglers in your audience, present company excluded, I hope. But right. I mean, I think that's a function of that. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying it as a no, knock on you. You know, I, you know, I mean, I, I think you did a noble thing by trying to primary her out. But I think. The the fact that you still have people whose whose ultimate loyalty is to the party could explain some of that. No. Well, if you look at who, well, what I was it's also because we're here, we're yeah, in her district. That's true. And what you will right. also yeah, that's true too. That with right. some of the people who comment, you can look on their feed very briefly. It will show you what channels they're subscribed to. So right. if the channels they're subscribed to are, let's say, Midas Touch, ABC News, things like that, then chances are. I can't actually have a rational conversation with a person like that. It's just not possible. Yeah, but this is why this is this goes back to the Russell Brand thing. This is why they smear Russell Brand as right wing. These are the same kinds of people who would smear Brand as right wing who would say that Debbie Wasserman Schultz owned Matt Taibbi. And that Um, she's left. Yeah, right. And that she's to Taibbi's left. Right. 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 Exactly. It's it's that same type of person there, which which because what what Russell Brand was getting at in one clip that I posted, this is a while back, but I just it 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 jogged my memory today because somebody on Twitter replied to a tweet that I sent a couple weeks ago talking about Russell Brand, where Russell Brand was talking about how all the anti-establishment fervor now is on the right because so much of the left has been co-opted. And right. so when he right. talks about there is more an anti-establishment right than an anti-establishment left, a lot of people, very stupidly, I think, um, take that as an endorsement of the right wing. Because yeah. if you want to be anti-establishment, your only choice is to be on the right, whereas what it really was was a lament. It's really too bad that there's not much of an anti-establishment left anymore. Like you guys, when you guys sat in and uh, hosted um, – our show while Russ was off, we did a segment on the more perfect union where we played the interview with the Trump voters and the Trump voters were talking this very, very based sort of class conscious politics. No disrespect to your friend, Mike Figueredo. He would never show that on his show. Majority report would never show that on the show. They don't want to portray Trump voters. They want to otherize Trump voters, young Turks, same thing. That's why they view Russell Brand as right wing, because as Peter said, I believe it was, it's, they're not just talking about him. They're talking about who he speaks to, right? Putting the ick factor on who he speaks to. And so, you know, you guys were obviously cool to sit in on that segment. So I'm not saying it's you and I don't want to talk no, too much we, about we, trash we about we your friend, but like they would never show that. And that's why they think that Russell Brand is right wing. That's why they think Debbie Wasserman Schultz owned Matt Taibbi. You think it's, it's the same thing. thing. How dare he criticize, you know, and we, we get a lot of crap um, from Dems because we do do that. Like we absolutely criticize the left. And I, I, I wouldn't say that, that they're worse than the right, but I feel like I have more standing since technically I am registered with them in my local, in, in Florida, we have closed primaries. And if you're not registered as a Democrat in Broward, you're not participating. Look, we're very direct in terms of our social media content. And we're already seeing the slow chirpings that are coming from various supporters of ours. And the good news is, is that, you know, we happen to have an audience that's very diverse, even the ones that would be considered the, you know, vote blue no matter who's, even they 
accept where we're coming from and accept what we've built. They, if it's because they see us as genuine and know that we don't have an ulterior motive and they really do think that a major change is necessary, they're just very trepidatious about it and they don't want to put themselves in a difficult situation. But we put out a social media post today alluding to the fact that not only did they pass the Willow Project, but they thought it was such a great idea that now they're approving an Italy-sized oil drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, where the biggest drilling disaster on the planet's history took place just over a decade ago. And I reference back to the, I'm sorry, but we're guys here, uh, the South Park episode where the guy from BP went on and said, we're sorry, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. And that's going to happen again. And of course, Florida's not come back from that, by the way. No. I, 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 that, that right. really yeah. was something as somebody who would travel to the West coast of Florida, like I regularly would go to San and Bell, but I can tell you uh-huh. that it never came back from that. Never. The, 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 the size shells that you would come across, you, you could tell critters were dying more mm-hmm. and younger. Like it never really right, came back right. from that mess. No. And that is, a, it is another disaster waiting to happen. But of course, what is the message that we're getting? But you don't want Trump and DeSantis to be the next president, do you? So we're just going to have to go with Joe. And all I tell them is, no, it doesn't matter what you say to us. It matters that half this country identifies as politically independent and you are not selling that shit again. You got away with it one time in the middle of a pandemic that people did not have a full understanding. And barely, by the way. Well, you know, you know what we need to talk about. I and I, I would love us to do because this came up on the show the other day. I would okay. love to do a special feature on it. Let's do it. In, income inequality is worse in states run by Democrats. Let's talk. Oh, about yeah, that. yeah. Let's talk about it. That's Let's absolutely. dig to the bottom of that. Why? Well, why, why is that? Why right? is that? Because it's, a, it's supposed to be marginally better. For people, and no. it's actually not to have Democrats at Georgia. No, with the exception of Florida and Texas, you look at all of the blue states in the country. What is the common theme that they have? They have a major cityscape, and that could be, right. you know, could be Denver, it could be Chicago, it could be Detroit, it could be New York City, it could be Philadelphia, it could be Boston, you know. I guess New England is really the only region of the country that consistently votes blue that doesn't have a major cityscape, even if you want to consider Boston to be the major cityscape of the whole region, which is fine. You can do that. Uh, There is something to be said for the cost of living in Miami, which is insane. Even though I think Miami is one of the worst cities in the whole country. Yeah, they, they, I don't understand how people think that they're going to have clean drinking water in 10 years there, but whatever. Let, keep investing in properties there. So people. what did you guys find in that particular article? And if we could pull it up, I'd be happy to do it. Well, uh, which article are you talking about? We were talking about income inequality in blue states. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. Those are the more elitist places. Well, there was uh, so, somebody did a great um, video essay about it, about 20 minutes. I'd have to dig it up. But it's something that... Democrats don't want to reckon with. It's like, okay, you know, I give tours and I will often say to people on the tours and, you know, these people, some of them are red states, but a lot of them are blue and they have certain preconceptions. And I say, so what's the most corrupt state in America? It's New York. New York. New York is the most corrupt state in America. What is that based on when you say most corrupt? What what, what uh, that, that's, that's, that's based on the number of our politicians that are prosecuted 
and convicted. Okay. Based on that, New York okay. is the most corrupt state in the country. Now, this goes back to Tammany Hall. There are still elements of Tammany Hall with some notable exceptions like Giuliani. It's, it's basically been a one-party state for over 100 years with a, with a few little swings here and there, but it's almost exclusively been run by Democrats since like the mid-19th century. So, of course, you're going to get this incredible level of corruption when you have it wouldn't matter which party it is also because wall street is here because the real estate development is here i mean there are just so many opportunities for bribery kickbacks graft um and and that's that's a very old tradition in new york but people who are democrat inclined you tell them that they're surprised right because it doesn't fit the narrative it doesn't fit the narrative the republicans are the corrupt ones and the Democrats are on the side of the angels. I would argue that the reason for this is, I, you know, I wrote an article about this that started tongue in cheek. And by the end of it, I realized I was making a cogent argument. I wrote an article a while ago arguing, well, if you really want to play the two party game, you're better off trying to take over and reform the Republicans than the Democrats, because the Democrats old base that has an interest in economic reform is in the Republican Party. So. Who were you pitching this to in the Democratic Party? This is a party of PMCs that could give a flying fuck about Medicare for all. They could give a flying fuck about free college. They, their kids are not going to whatever free public college you come up with if you were to pass something like that. And they get top-notch health care through their employer. They could give a shit about those things. They like to virtue signal that they care about those things. But as we see, whenever the rubber meets the road, how many how many libs did you hear go, well, but it's the parliamentarian. They can't go against the parliamentarian. Those are the rules. We're not like the Republicans. We follow the rules. How many of that? It's a, it's a, uh -oh. it's yeah, a party of crazy flicks. Look, I talked I talk to the guy, you know, the thing. And I talked to him and he said, <laughs> I just can't pay for it, man. But you know what I can do? I got a, I got a great idea. You know what we're going to do? We're going to drill the shit out of the Gulf of Mexico, just like we're going to drill the shit out of Alaska. Come on, man. And then, then they'll never elect. Do you know who we're supporting in 24? Oh. Uh, Mansion and the parlamentarian. No, no, no. no the no. parliamentarian has all what? the power. Look. Well, you know, we've, we've got a horse in that race now. You know, we're, run, we're running our own candidate. Oh, that's really... Oh, I just think that not, if not, those not, are the people that. that have the most power in the party that apparently keep things from happening, then then that's who we should put in power. So I'm going look, with Mansion. Look, look what I don't know her name. Come on, I wrote the damn bill. Well, well look at look at you, you know they don't they don't want to talk about this. They don't want to talk about the salt tax. No, they just okay. Want to talk about so, me so Trump got rid of that. The salt tax. The salt tax deduction. Trump got rid of it. The only thing about salt is that you got to put it on your steak and potatoes. <laughs> That's uh, but it's past my feeding time, and I got to go. He's, he's sundowning, folks. He's sundowning. His meds are wearing off. No, that's just the start because you might get them all tonight with the way we're going. Yeah. Was, um, as soon as the Democrats get back the House and the Senate, what are they going to do? They want to bring back the salt tax deduction. Which do, the, only do, do the Democrat? Do the Democrats really not understand? That they really are heading for an iceberg. They don't care. Do they like really not understand that? 
I mean, do they, a lot of people have said this over the years. Uh, you know, Jimmy Dore is probably the most prominent proponent of the idea that the Democrats get paid to lose. And it kind of seems that way because whenever they win, it throws a spotlight on the fact that they don't actually want to do any of the things they're telling you they want to do. Roe v. Wade actually threw a spotlight on that. There were, of course, the general corporate media wouldn't show those clips. But some of those clips of Obama saying, yeah, well, it's not a priority for me right now. <laughs> That's some good. Of, some of those made the rounds. Yeah, I'm going to. Well, I, actually, <laughs> I can't get one of those masks because I'll get canceled. Yeah, no, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, can't do I don't, that. Yeah. Wear that mask. <laughs> no, they don't want to. They don't. You're I've always said. I call them Mick resistance. They're not real. I don't know well, that. Of course, yeah. I don't think that it's where they're paid to lose. I just think that the corporations are just, they hedge their bets. They go both ways. They don't really care. And so it just doesn't matter. Right. And that so many of the people that have taken over the party are just so elitist and sanctimonious that it's just turning off more and more people, which is why their party yep. is bleeding yep. like a sieve. But I don't think, I think that your run-of-the-mill Democrat supporters, not party leaders, but supporters, I don't think they see that, that they're paid to lose. They actually buy the narrative that if we just had one more vote, if we just did have a filibuster if we just didn't have the parliamentary like they buy all those excuses but and i've said from the beginning if the president of the united states is so friggin' powerful that we're so scared of it being trump then why can't he get things done like if it, you can't have it both ways you can't have me fearful of having somebody like trump in office but then you have somebody like joe and yet they're not powerful enough to to combat joe manchin and if that's how weak the president is, then why should we even care who's sitting there? But we have to vote for him again, guys. And you better right. vote for him, otherwise you're a bad person. Remember that. Very well, that, well that, I think I think this Wisconsin ahead. Supreme Court race is going to be an interesting indicator, right? Because if I had to put money on it, I think the liberal, I forget her name, Janet, uh, it's a long Polish name. I'm not going to try to pronounced correctly um but if i had to bet i would bet she's probably going to win and i base that on the 2022 midterm results right i mean in states where abortion rights hung in the balance and it was close right unless it was a deep red state democrats tended to win those statewide races and so as much as it makes sense that they'd be heading for an iceberg in 2024, I think we also have to understand that the Republicans have some big questions they have to answer themselves. And I think the Democrats are hoping that they're not going to be able to answer them. And I think the the voter base in this country has just become so normy because all the radicals have been filtered out. They've been bullied out. They've right. been intimidated right. out. Right. Right. The the most radical Trump base, they were the January 6 people and were locking schizophrenics in jail for five years for walking around the Capitol building. Right. George Floyd protest BLM. As soon as they made a demand, defund the police. What happened? Democrats. No, 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 we can't do that. We need more funds for the police. So they've been filtered out. And who you have left are the normies. And the normies are not going to go for a fucking 13th century anti-abortion crazy bullshit platform. They're just not. Yeah. As horrible as the Democrats are, they are going to be in the game until Republicans come up with answers to those questions. We yeah. covered on our um, it was our paid subscriber exclusive uh video last night that we did um, about the Republicans in North Carolina bent the knee and passed through a. Um, Bless you. Sorry, uh, they passed through the expansion of Medicaid under the ACA. 
and the Democratic uh, governor signed it. Uh, that's an example of the Republicans' understanding, I think, that one year out of 2024, they have to be less terrifying on reproductive issues and on issues of the ACA. They cannot scare people that they're going to take their, you know, bronze plans away or whatever it is, or they're going to have to expand Medicaid coverage, right? They're going to have to be less terrifying, partly because of what Russell, <clears throat> pardon me, said, which is that they're getting an influx of working class voters now. And they cannot afford to screw them as hard as they are used to screwing them. Right. But, um, you know, I would never accuse Democrats of being fast learners. I wouldn't accuse Republicans of being fast learners either. So it is up in the air, I think. You know, I'm not I'm not as certain that the Democrats are headed for a crushing defeat in 2024. It certainly looks bad for Biden. But Republicans, they they blew it last time and they can certainly blow it this time. Yeah, they are. We talk about the Roe v. Wade. I just want to say one of the things that the, everyone here is freaking out about in Florida <clears throat> is the discussion on the six week ban, which is a de facto pure ban. A six week ban is a ban. That's most people don't even know that's just a ban. Um, and there, of course, people are worried about it. Rightfully so. It is worrisome. Um, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that Ron DeSantis, who's running for president, is going to sign a six-week abortion ban. I just ban. can't see it. If he does it, he's kissing it goodbye he, and he's, he's throwing not. it right to Trump because Trump will yeah. take full but, advantage of it. Even if he put those, you know, even if he put Coney Island and Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Yeah, floor. no, but the problem is, is that DeSantis is going to create a situation that, like, mark my words, he's not going to have to sign it. Because he's not going to be put in a position where he's going to either disappoint the rabid base or potentially lose the majority of the country uh, nationally. He's going to create a scenario where somebody somehow in the, that will never make it to its desk. It is not going to make it to his desk one way or the other. Somebody in that legislature is going to fall on some sword because he is not going to be in a position to either sign or not sign that bill. From That's Politico, with the exception of the governorship, Republicans have long had a lock on most levers of power in the state. They have a strong majority of the congressional delegation. And of course, that's all about gerrymandering. They're on the cusp of supermajorities in both legislative chambers, and conservatives currently hold sway on the state Supreme Court. But a liberal win in the April 4th election could upend all that. It would give liberals an effective majority on the high court and with it the possibility to redraw state and congressional district lines in ways that dramatically curb Republican power. Wisconsinites are very familiar with hearing this in most uh, in the most important election of our lifetime. Of course, Democrats always say that. I don't need to read further on that line. Uh, liberal takeover of the Supreme Court could even factor into the race and control of the U.S. House in 2024. A win by uh, a win by Democrat-backed Janet Protzowitz, I guess is how you say it. Uh, Janet, I lived in Greenpoint for three years, and I still got nothing on that name. That whole Chicago Milwaukee connection right there, which could uh, shift control of the court from a one-seat advantage for conservatives to a four-three liberal majority, could have a domino effect in the state. She's facing former state Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly. A conservative candidate backed by the state GOP in the technically nonpartisan race. Of course, we all know it is. It's just it's a loser issue. It's this is a loser issue to fight on. Most people are not with this. Yeah, I think it goes without saying that this is definitely an advantage to the Democrats uh, in this particular race. Is it enough? Is that enough to combat the economy? I mean, you know, I the think one wrinkle, well, the one wrinkle that got thrown in today, which is not a surprise, because, again, the sabotage within our system is so great 
that you almost have to wonder why somebody like George Soros decided that now he's going to get involved and throw a million dollars behind Janet and basically just rile up, all, you know, all of the conservatives and even the less inclined progressives. Yeah, who that's are not sick. a good idea. No, sick and tired of the things that he's done. I mean, listen, he got involved with our state attorney's race down here. Yeah. And he almost pulled it off. He and focused those in our state attorney's let race. Let me assure you, uh, he threw a million dollars behind this guy. Uh, I'll say his name because of shit, because he's not in it anymore. This guy, Joe Kimmock. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he lost the race by a raise with him margin, when I say he disappeared from public life, disappeared. disappeared. Didn't see him in anything. And I think in a way, because he had, you know, he had presented himself as this progressive who wasn't taking dirty money and all that. You take a million dollars from George Soros. That's that's the end of that conversation. And so he took the money. He almost won, didn't win. And then goodbye. So the fact that it looks on paper that the Wisconsin Supreme Court would go liberal, getting Soros involved in this only adds a significant amount of cannon fodder for the right that they didn't need. Why did they, Why doesn't somebody step up and say, we don't need George Soros involved in our race? Well, because the Democrats are run by their consultants and they want George Soros in these races because that's money in their pockets. Exactly. It's it's not look, you have with the Democrats and the Republicans, you have in the Democrats, you have a party with no rationale for its existence. There is absolutely no reason for a Wall Street friendly working class party to exist. That's, that's like Jews for Jesus. There, right. There's no reason for it to exist. Yeah. Um, and with the Republicans, you have a party that still is burdened by the ghost of Reaganomics, which they're finding it very difficult to give up. And they're right. going to have to because they took the Democrats old base. You wanted them. You got them. Now you can't just keep giving them platitudes about bootstraps because uh, that shit's not working for anybody. And. They are the abortion issue is deadly for them. They ever since Reagan, Reagan threw <laughs> open the doors of the Republican Party to Jerry Falwell and his Ralph Reed. Yeah, you invited them all Billy in. Graham. And for that gain, they had to sell out their uh principles. I mean, such as they were. The Republicans were not this socially extreme party. Until Reagan made his famous speech, I know you can't endorse me, but I endorse you. And that was it. It opened up the floodgates to evangelicals who up to that point, people forget this, it, it, you know, people like Falwell accepted, they tended to stay out of politics. They saw it as render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. They saw it as as worldly, as something they don't yeah. get involved in. Um, once Reagan did that, that's it. Now those people are such a such a core part of your constituency that you can't really win without them. So what do they do now? You can't run Nash now that it's not just talk. Right. Now that really when you have a pro-life position, it has teeth because now you don't have Roe v. Wade. You can't run on that nationally anymore. No. So what are they? What? That's it. So what do they do? That is a deadly 
well, trap for them that they're going to have to figure out a way to get out of. Do you think that it's it's simultaneously when the Republicans got co-opted by the, the evangelicals is around the same time that Democrats basically gave their final FU to labor and got all in bed with um, corporations. And so now it was around the mid 80s, right? I mean, that, that was well, the DLC. Was that was what, 84, 85, something like that. It was right around. It was those, those those forces were brewing in the 70s. You started yeah. yes. to have these new Democrats starting to bubble up. Who, yeah. you know, I, I look, if I if I were teaching a class on how we got here, I would definitely dedicate one of the classes to all in the family. If you go back and you watch all in the family. OK, now, ex- you're, now, ex- you're, now these are like fighting words, man. You're criticizing all in the family. Oh, no, I'm not saying it caused it. I'm saying it. Oh. Described it. OK, <laughs> oh, no. because, right. you know, I mean, all that guy was family. like my poppy. Come on, man. Archie Bunker was like my poppy. Dude, you know, like- dude. Uh, they never said it. But because Carol O'Connor was from Flushing. Yeah. Archie Bunker lives in Flushing because they talk about bus lines that were in my neighborhood. Yeah. So, yeah, no, big all in the family fan. Um, But if you watch the that early representation of the culture war, Mm -hmm. it describes to you what happened, because the show is about Archie, who, okay, today you would watch that. You would think he was a Republican. They never said whether he was a Republican or not. He did defend Nixon, which was typical of guys like that at that time, because he really appealed to angry working class kind of yeah. kind of voters, which was kind kind of kind of um uh foreshadowed what would eventually happen with these Reagan Democrats, right? Um but guys like Archie Bunker back in those days, they almost to a man would have been Democrats. They almost mm-hmm. to a man would have been registered Democrats. The arguments that Archie and Mike are having all the time are these culture war arguments very yeah. much centered around language policing things that would really come into woke. vogue the later on was woke. it was woke and what was mike studying to be a professor he became a professor right right that is really what happened guys like mike hated the archie bunkers who made up this post new deal portion working of, class of, of the these working class guys who they considered crude and racist and not culturally uh, sophisticated, hated them, hated them, wanted to break these people. And Michael eventually grew up and took over our institutions, took over our cultural institutions, which is what happens in that show. By the end of All in the Family, he's a professor, right? He's teaching college kids. Um, Clinton was the apotheosis of the Mike and Gloria's taking over and putting their vision of liberalism into action. And NAFTA was a big fuck you to all those Archie Bunker types that they hated. And they basically said to them, what are you going to do? Vote Republican. Yeah. And in the end they did. <laughs> okay, now my head's blown. I'm sitting here like obsessing on all in the family because it's yeah, I see what you're the only difference is is while I look at people like Mike isn't definitely like this academic elitist and very overwoke and all of that, I don't think of them as people that would be necessarily uh in favor of corporate corruption and, and all of that sort of cronyism necessarily, just that there's sort of this sanctimonious concept of well, we know better now. We should do better now. Like that kind of. Well, well, in the in the end, they 
all kind of coalesced around this idea that they represented an expert class um, that had earned their positions through their merit, through their intellectual superiority. And it's, it's what Thomas Frank calls elite democracy. That's what they really believe in. And guys like Archie Bunker should sit down and shut up. Even though we don't like you, you're better off with our solutions because we know all the good numbers and charts and statistics. And don't don't worry. What we do for society is going to be better. But they hate those people. You know, Hillary saying the deplorables. deplorables. That's not that's going all the way back to the 70s. The whole rationale of the new Democrats was to minimize the influence of these people and to uh, what they would later call become a party of the wired workers. That, that was what you heard throughout the Clinton years. Oh, the new wired workers, that this was going to be the new Democratic Party. And they wanted the traditional Republican base. They wanted the doctors. They wanted the lawyers. They wanted right. the white-collar right. professionals. And that's who they are now. The two parties' bases have flipped. That's why the Republicans talking Reaganomics just doesn't make any sense anymore for the base that they have. The question is, when are they going to figure that out? I think it's being figured out right now because you're just seeing this sort of dead ender within the party infrastructure. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't elements of the Democratic Party that can't be salvaged. But in terms of who's pulling it from the very top, it is who it is. And they're not going anywhere. And much like Pelosi's going to try to bequeath her seat to her daughter and the way right, that right, you know, right. I'm sure Steny Hoyer is going to do something similar in Maryland uh, that, you know, what's his name? Uh, it's an aristocracy. Well, it's our monarchy. We have we have our own monarchy here, basically. But they there are people they absolutely feel entitled to decide who should get their seat when they're ready to step down. And the progressives also, right, as you guys right. saw in New York, you know, they're the egos within these political circles are so insane. Uh, the fact that Dan Goldman got to Capitol Hill, and I mean, he is in many ways the embodiment of the Democratic establishment today. You know, he's a blue blood. He's, you know, the child of the one of the richest fortunes, the Levi Strauss jeans fortune. And he should never have gotten there. You know, Yuli New should be in Congress right now. And instead, the lack of organizing properly and recognizing that this isn't about one person. This is about a movement to try to build some type of working class coalition in this country, regardless of what right. party it's in. Right. And the fact that they effed up so badly is just so inexcusable. I don't think Yuli New would have been on a panel criticizing Matt Taibbi for increasing his Twitter following and saying, hey, can you please admit <laughs> that Russian collusion is a real thing? Uh <laughs> well, when you say they screwed up so badly, who? Well, we're very friendly with the Long Island activists. You know, that's one group that does a really great job of organizing with non-corporate candidates. And any of those groups that are involved, again, can leave AOC out of the equation. But you do have some good on the ground organizing in New York. And then they were split amongst, well, I mean, the fact that Mondaire Jones was even in that race. Yeah, that insane. just became a whole mess. You know, we became 
fairly friendly with Alessandra Baeghi, who basically gave up her political career to go run against Sean Patrick Maloney. Credit for her for, you know, being willing to do that, even though she's somebody who comes from a privileged background. And she decided that she was going to go for that, whereas it should have been Mondaire Jones who was doing that. And if he did, Mm -hmm. Yulene New would be in Congress right now. But this is and Yulene was a real she was she's a good candidate. And I'm still convinced that a lot of what we the thing is, we're still on the outside. We're not inside. We don't know the type of conversations that these people have. We don't know what type of promises that are made. But I am confident. I, I mean, we have it on good authority that once you get into Congress, they sit you down in a room and show you pictures of your loved ones, your relatives, show you that they know what addresses they live at, you know, tell you the phone number. So listen, uh, you're going to vote a certain way on certain things or, uh, you know, maybe people are going to have an accident. It'd be unfortunate, you know, if you open up that car door and, you know, just yeah, explode. It, I mean, could, it, you know, you're driving, you're driving a Ford. Those things blow up all the time. Hey, listen, Jen had no a one's gonna ask questions. knows all about that life. I did have an uncle that was that. But, you know, if I do think, <laughs> I do think. He uh, Jen's like living one, that thug life. He actually owned the largest um, porn emporium in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco in oh, wow. the 70s. Who? And my, thought, it was I my thought, uncle. It was okay. my uncle. And um and it was back when like he had the he ran uh, the girl. The, uh, what what who who are the who are the brothers? They still the the one that's still alive still has that theater over there. They're the oh, one, they're I the have ones no who idea. they're the ones who made behind the green door. There was this great movie oh, this about them with Emilio Estevez. All right, I don't know, and this is what you're outside <laughs> of my scope. But like, I think that there's still we have to still in some way participate. And like in Florida. We don't have another option than that party. We don't, there is no other option. If we don't have that, we don't get to participate in primaries here. So it's really like, we're really between a rock and a hard place. That's unfortunately the system we have. So what is the alternative? Yeah. And if uh, you're going what is the alternative? No, I want to, because I know you guys are very anti participating in the party, but like where we live, there's no options. Especially being in South Florida and being in New York City, it's like you, yeah. you, you know you gotta you gotta pick your battles depending on how you want to fight them. And, yeah, and we're just kind of where we are, we're we're stuck. Yeah. We so, are. like, what would you say? Like, how do we? What? Do, how do you use the electoral process, if at all? I, I, you know, I'm reading. I'm reading Thomas Frank's "The People Know" right now. That's and his new it, book. Uh, that yes. came out a few years. Yeah, ago. yeah I mean, it, no, it came out about. It's his newest one, but it's it's, it's his a newest. Few years it's about old. a year and a half, right? Okay. No, I think it's a little older. I mean, I read. Nah, this nah, I, I bought, it came, it came out during the lockdowns. Okay, I remember because I ordered it <laughs> when I still was like living in like a cave. Um, yeah, well, that was it, three years ago. Twenty twenty three could be two years. Yeah, maybe. Right, anyway, go ahead. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to slow the show down. And it's get it's getting into uh, yeah, yeah, drink your whiskey. All right. <laughs> I didn't mean to slow the show down. <laughs> Freaking lousy rummy. Yeah. Um, so it's getting into the history of populism, and his interest is how they flipped the meaning of the word. Because really, for most of its history, if you said populism, it was like egalitarian uh, equality fraternity, right? And they've turned it into, they've twisted it to mean demagoguery, right? So he's going back to the beginning of the coining of this word, and it was with the People's Party. It was with the third party. And um, they called themselves populists. Um, 
his description, and of course, there are obstacles to a third party now that you didn't have that, but his description of that movement, I find it very inspiring. And it is actually giving me a lot of ideas about how you would go about this even today. But some of the, some of the points in it that I, I found really interesting was, for one thing, they were talking a lot, even then, about how it, you needed a multiracial, multi-ethnic, like everyone in the working class needed to come together. You needed the very interesting. They were talking about how the rural and the urban worker, the farmer and the factory worker needed to come together in common cause. Also, they stayed off social issues. The so the big social issue of that time was temperance and prohibition. And a lot of the people who were attracted to the People's Party, according to Frank, you know, they were moralists because it, the, the whole thing had a kind of um, almost religious fervor about it. Um, so it attracted a lot of those types. Um, a lot of them were teetotalers. A lot of them were for prohibition, but they didn't talk about those things because they knew it was divisive and they didn't want to split the working class. They're trying to beat this these monopoly uh, monopolistic railroad companies. They're trying to beat these Eastern bankers. They can't be fighting over prohibition. So they didn't, they kept that out of the platform. They just didn't get into those things. They focused on their economic agenda and unifying all working class and not ruling anybody out of bounds as long as they were on board with the economic agenda. That is exactly what we've experienced down here. I mean, I tell I'm hoping story. that's what Shama Sawant is doing. Like, yeah. that's what I'm hoping is what's happening is something that will force either. I mean, the parties are who they are, you know, and it's a matter of them being forced in a direction um, by some other force. And it's not going to come from within them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's well, right. why we've and given the, up on the parties. Right, so now exactly. the project is we don't have all the answers. But the one answer I, I think we will both give, I think I can speak for Gaten on this, is we need to build outside power. Now, yeah, we yeah. need to put our heads together and figure out how you do that. Maybe it is doing what the People's Party did. They made themselves kingmakers, right? In the end, they won some seats here. They won some seats there. And they they made it such you can't win without them. So eventually, it, it, it the Republicans for a while under Theodore Roosevelt was the one who first advanced their agenda. And then eventually it came to its full flowering, of course, in the presidency of FDR. So yeah. I, I'm not even necessarily saying that you start a third party and it's going to knock out one of the other two parties, but it doesn't really matter if it does. If you so force the other parties to adopt your position such that they can't win an election without your support. Yeah. And that's why, you know, again, I, I support mutual aid, uh, worker co-ops, all these things are great, but at the end of yep. the day, it's, it's a labor movement. That's what it yep. is. Well, that, yeah, and the, well, yeah but, but that look, th there's no oxygen for that in the democratic party. I mean, I, this is why I asked you who blew it in the New York, I think it's the 10th. Yes. Where Dan Goldman won that, that primary was shut down by the West Village affluent white liberals who either voted for Dan Goldman because they're rich and so is he, 
or they absorb the narrative. Well, he stood up to Trump and he held them accountable because that's what they read in the New York Times. Right. Who gave him the endorsement for that reason. Like Disgusting. there's just no getting through Disgusting. to these people. Like there's no getting through to these people. These people own the party. Seventy percent of Democrats trust the mainstream media. There is no breaking through in that party. And I think to keep trying and trying and trying over and over again, the reason I am very much opposed to that is because, as Shama Sawan has said, demoralization sets in with repeated losses. In order to keep your movement alive, you have to win, at least sometimes. You don't have to win every time, but you have to win. And so one of the reasons why she has been um, so successful, not only on the uh, Seattle uh, City Council, but as an organizer, is because she wins. She makes her movement feel like it's worth investing in her because she puts wins on the board. When you keep running a progressive candidate and, oh, Dan Goldman, oh, uh, you know, I mean, at a certain point, people yeah. check out. And that's actually yeah. bad for the movement. I will, now, I will push, that's a great point. That is yeah. a good point. But, I, but I'm going to push back on this. And, and from this perspective, there are a lot of people who run for office for certain seats that have no effing business doing it. And there could be a litany of different reasons why that is. They're not a great organizer. They are not a great candidate overall. They are not capable of raising money. They have no idea how to connect with business leaders or anybody who understands that society cannot function without health care, without a living wage, without a roof over your head, without clean water to drink, endless war, criminal justice reform. These are things that overall most people do give a shit about. But most people are not actually able to connect in a way that we have been able to connect with a lot of people down here. And I say this on the uh, on the premise of the fact that we did go to the League of Women Voters charity luncheon over the weekend. And I love my league ladies. The table that we're sitting at is the type of table that you're talking about. The women that were sitting there were pretty much all over the age of 65. They are obviously very comfortable in their livelihood. But I will tell you that there were it was basically an even split. There was one that was Italian from New Jersey who comes from those working class roots and she never forgot them and made it very clear that mm -hmm. I cannot stand Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I cannot stand this agenda. They have destroyed our party. And this we need a future that focuses on labor. Now, she was the best one of the group. There mm -hmm. is another one who happens to be very privileged, but just happens to love Jen and is willing to overlook those com levels of comfort living that come with being a, a liberal on the high hog. Then you also look at somebody else who is understanding that the situation is very bad, even though they hate Trump and they it's the knee jerk reaction to say that it's his fault but recognizes that maybe we need to clean our own house before we can worry about whether we're getting to Trump or if we should even focus on the presidential election because we have no foundation. Well, that's what I think. Like, yeah. I think that, and I said that a while ago, I think like we need to be working on nonpartisan things locally way more than we need to be throwing our eggs in a basket um, of keep losing and defeatism, which is what I said to him about and, many times. And then we had the quintessential Debbie supporter. Over 75, has been in Democratic politics for all of her life, and doesn't call herself a blue dog. No. Calls herself a yellow dog. Had you Democrat. ever heard that? A I had never dog? heard of such a tap. Uh, uh, I had heard of it, yeah. But okay. it's not often used. Most, most of the time you hear the blue dog. Do I, I do recall hearing is? the yellow. 
I don't know, but I, I do recall it's ridiculous. hearing ridiculous. Wait till you hear what it is. So it, it isn't this idea of I don't care how much of a strong man a candidate is as long as they're a Democrat. It's I don't care how much of a coward the candidate is. If they have a D next to their I'm name, voting I'm voting for them. So yeah, yellow. That, I get it. OK, so yellow. that's that. So that's that means they're voting for the Democrat no matter how bad they suck. Now, I had a way of communicating with this lady that got her to first of all, she got very defensive, which is obviously a common knee jerk for the ones who live in that bubble. But I could tell that she was listening and that she wasn't completely adverse. It was this whole idea of, mm. well, you know, Debbie had run for office in 1992, not kidding, and knocked on every door. Now, this is, of course, for a state house race. The district was much smaller. A so you're talking smaller. maybe a few thousand votes at the time. But what I did say to her is that with all due respect, the Debbie Wasserman Schultz of 30 years ago is not the Debbie Wasserman Schultz of today. And it is not only crystal clear that there may have been times when she was in the state house that she was a real liberal progressive in a way. But the second she got to Congress in 2004, she has been exactly She's what never she's been. been. Liberal, but I she's think, the same thing. I think that what the point they're making about it is, is that once you're in there, that that party has nothing else to offer. Like there's no there there in that party. It all depends on how right? you use what is presented to no, you. No, I mean, I'm saying what they're talking yeah, about. No, I agree. I agree with what you guys are saying. But I also think that there has to be a certain attitude about why are you there? The attitude of somebody like Alex, of Corey, of Summer Lee, of all of these people who get in there is, first and foremost, they have been thrust into a position in life that they are about four or five rungs down the ladder on and have never been able to ascertain what that level is. A salary of 175000 can't even be equated to everything that comes with that job. You're talking about a job in total value is probably worth over a million dollars a year. So when you're in that position, when you have never sniffed 100000 a year before and now you're in this line of work, I mm -hmm. mean, it is so easy for the average person on the outside to say, well, you know, if I was there, I would do something else or no, I'm succumbing to this because I like it and I love being in this life. And that is what ends up happening for most of them. There is this. Right. Complete, it's not party related. Yeah, it's not. It's this whole career idea. related. That's why I think right. one, of the best, right. one of the best representatives in our Congress, even though he is definitely on the far right, is Thomas Massey. And the reason I use him as a barometer is because there is a guy who doesn't need that life. He is mm -hmm. as pedigreed as anybody that's in Congress, and he is principled on what he believes, and he is adamant about not taking corporate money or meeting with lobbyists. Now, you don't have to agree with the fact that he is as pro-NRA as it gets. He is as pro-libertarian as it gets. But there is a guy who literally told Donald Trump to go F himself. Now, of course, Trump was trying to get him out of Congress. It didn't work. So he is the type of person that I would look at and say, on the left, why aren't more people like him? Because that's the type of person, whether they believe it or not, that if they grew a sack and actually told Nancy Pelosi that, they have no idea how powerful that they would become because this country is right. yearning for that but shit. But why don't they? They're we we, have, we, have, we haven't had a left like that in a very long time. Uh, yeah, and I think they're powerful now in their own way that they are very satisfied with. And look, as much as uh, I would love to believe that the country is yearning for something like that, that's not what I see when I look at these election results. I'm sorry. It's just not. I see the normies doing very, very well. And I think the reason the normies have done well is because a lot of the country has been demoralized and shut 
out of the system. And that is yeah, the they're not the one voting. Go. And as Chris Hedges has said, the the people who have been shut out of this system have been shut out of the system to a large extent by the Democratic Party. Therefore, right. they are very distrustful of anyone who associates with that institution. That's yep. why he insists it has to it's come toxic. from the outside. And guess what? I mean, I'm sorry. Um, what evidence do we have to convince them that they're wrong about that? We put AOC in. We put Cory Bush in. Right. 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 We put oh, Rashida yeah. Tlaib in. Billions out the door for Ukraine. Not a chirp about that. You had AOC hosting some military recruitment event and then gaslighting people for calling her out for it, saying, well, there were other vendors there. Also, it wasn't really that. Right. I mean, I'm, I, like I said, there's just that not any real evidence to suggest um, that the people who checked out of Democratic Party politics did so for a bad reason. And I think what you are up against when you try to infiltrate it again are these institutional incentives, right? And the incentives of the voters themselves. Um, you know, the the West Village, you know, New York Times reading liberal um, has no incentive to put Yuli Yu in there. There are always going to be class traders mm -hmm. who you talk yeah. to, PMC progressives. I know several myself. Um, but when, when, when you cited the interaction, no, absolutely. But that's that was my point. When you cited yeah. the interaction with the people, you're talking about people who are engaged and locked into this stuff, yes. right? Who are obsessed with participation, which means not only do they um, get some fulfillment in doing the thing, but they also get a lot of fulfillment in really thinking about the thing and really analyzing what they're doing and the moral implications of what they're doing. Most people don't engage in politics that way. It is a it is a way to to obtain what is in their interest to obtain. Most people don't have political opinions. They have interests and they vote to pursue those interests. And to me, when I look at the makeup of the well, Democratic also, Party also now, it's it, that is it's, just an it's like wearing the Lululemon yoga pants. Right, exactly. I, and what, what I would say is different about where you guys are versus where we are is that the party really has hit rock bottom in this state. And I think I'm. it's way too early to tell. And no decision is being made in terms of what we're going to do in the future. But I am starting to get the impression that the type of people that need to be done with Wasserman Schultz are starting to be done. With her. But the only and, way to make that, I mean, look, that in theory um, could work. What, what right? difference but, will it even but, make, though? But I'm saying if you blow and that that's up, what we could talk about because we, we we we're in a very different situation. This is not a typical scenario like yeah. in in every other case. I know exactly what you're saying and I agree and I've said it to him. But down here, there's just a different opportunity to do something at a local level and at the state level that would be basically cutting off a head of a snake that stands in the way of local and state things that could be better for a lot like of people. Like the level of desperation in the it state at this point when policy. it comes to, you know, DeSantis is able to run roughshod and he's going to do it at the national level. I, I People are, if you haven't seen, or if you, any of you out there who are going to hear this interview, if you've not heard the interview that he just gave with Pierce Morgan, go and listen to it because it's really going to give you an idea of where this guy's going. Once he, it doesn't matter what the national- He, he just did it. I haven't seen that. Oh yeah. It just came out, I think yesterday. Uh, it doesn't matter what the national polls say. It matters what Iowa, New Hampshire say. Yep. That's what's going to allow him to build that momentum. And most of the polls show DeSantis ahead of Trump in those two states. And uh, that matters. You, so You you, you know, I've, I've been singing this song for, I don't know how long, Keaton, a year? About a year now. Exactly. Momentum is a very dangerous animal in politics. 
People really don't understand how it can just catch on like yeah. wildfire. Yeah. And the same is true down here. Wasserman Schultz has had her hand in so many things that have brought this party down that a lot of people are starting to look at it now. The fact that cost of living is so out of sight, out of mind down here in terms, I mean, I'm in commercial real estate, so I see this all the time. The ability to live is so bad. Whether mm-hmm. and the only real economic populism on the left that really exists in the state is in the I four corridor between Orlando and you Tampa. Have some there. You have a couple of good people that are up there. Yes, there are a lot of issues already with Maxwell Frost. It is what it is, but he has a lot of that energy behind him. Anna Escamani is by far and away the best state house representative we have in this state, and she is generating a lot of that interest now. <laughs> even though she plays in that overwoke sandbox, she never misses an opportunity to say, this is an economic class war. That's what this is. Now, you're going to use these little tools like what's going on with the books and with the teachers and the gender and all that stuff. You are using that as an excuse to not talk about the fact that income inequality in the state's insane. The, uh, The ability to rent a home or an apartment is insane. But the question is to what- Yeah, but but didn't the Democrats set that trap for themselves. Yeah. The head you, of the, you handed that to them. You that's true. That but the person most directly responsible for that is our congresswoman. And you know, it's not even a question. It's really I mean, that, that's, a, that's a national problem. <clears throat> it's that's a true. national problem that Ron that's DeSantis true. said, you know what? This is great. This is this. this they're, is making great. It too, they're making it too easy for him. They're like they're giving him an opportunity. I mean, listen, if he if DeSantis is the nominee, I understand, Keaton, you had brought up before about the issue with, you know, with abortion and what may happen there. I'm sorry, but a DeSantis versus Biden. DeSantis no, I think DeSantis will win. I'm not saying he's not the favorite in that race. Yeah. I, I, w- I would not say that. The Democrats have nobody. And that's the bottom line. They have there is not a single person. He's not going to be able to hide in the basement this time. No. And there and he barely won in a pandemic. And the bottom line yeah. is they don't have a single person. That could beat Trump or DeSantis. Do you see? So any- I don't see what difference. Do you guys see any scenario where Biden steps down? No, possibly, possibly. If if he, if you remember those pre-COVID campaign appearances, you can only imagine what his campaign appearances are going to be like. My concern is if, if it gets bad yeah. enough. If but it who gets would like they even put there? Alzheimer's well, that's the question, Jen. Look who's polling second. Kamala Harris. I mean, yeah. how many? <laughs> Listen, man, I don't know. If <laughs> what Kamala do I got to tell Well, you they're guys. already <laughs> preparing for that. Like you can <laughs> yeah. tell when they put out the you memo. If propaganda. I'm telling you right now, if Kamala Harris is the nominee against either Trump or DeSantis, it's going to be a 33 to Well, it's going to be like a Reagan Mondale more than it's, that. I don't know More if it's going to be that. I'm not going to go there. But is it going to be like a 33 to 35 state landslide? Yeah, it is. What is a debate states. between? But imagine the debate between someone like Kamala and either Trump or DeSantis, and what that would like, be um, awesome. It that would, would be, be that would be the greatest debate. <laughs> I mean, Trump versus Kamala would be the funniest say, election ever. Obviously, I can say I can say this because I've met the guy. I've stood in his presence for about 10, 15 minutes. Talking to a good friend of mine who's well connected in politics. I won't say where, I won't say the circumstance, but I will tell you guys that the one person the Democrats do have that could potentially generate interest is Governor Pritzker in Illinois. He's the one guy. And the reason I say that is because he gives a good speech, he's got good humility, and he's a rich fuck. And when you've got that working in your favor, the Democratic Party will bend over backwards for anybody with money. 
That's the way it they is. They still can't. That's that's that doesn't them. mean it'll pull in voters. No, no maybe not. I step down I, because Kamala is the number two, and they know Kamala can't win. And so if Biden steps down, they're forced in a spot where they're going to have to reject their African-American, or not African-American, sorry, but they're, so they're you, you know, I'm just vice saying president. If, if he has enough campaign appearances where he goes all corn pop, you know, they might have to do it might get to the point that you just can't you gotta give him the incredibly run him well he's yeah. been i mean listen. i would have thought that the first time when he was talking about the kids in his hairy legs this is yeah. I mean, look, or <laughs> hair sniffing this, how about hair sniffing this is a great opportunity to bring up obviously the main topic of course we'll we'll briefly cover bernie and you know obviously this is well no but this, is it okay is, if i just make one point because you, sure. you mentioned you mentioned rock bottom right democrats yeah. in this state have hit rock bottom and that's where you see an opening that's why you see an opening to reform the party because the party's fallen on such hard times that they're desperate they know they have to change direction or else yeah, they will have, have no power Right. I buy that premise um, to an extent. The the only way that works, though, is if you are willing to embrace a full on Bernie or bust type strategy, not going in meeting by meeting, function by function and being nice to these people. The only way to do that is to slap the martini glasses out of their hand and say, listen, if you don't vote for the progressive we want, we are sitting out and we are instructing everyone in this party to sit out. And yes, we are handing the country over to Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. I'm you don't like sure. it, vote for our candidate. I'm Otherwise, sure. that's what you're getting. And I'm sorry, man, the, the the Democratic constituency does not have it in them to say that. No, but but what if you have somebody in there that doesn't care about keeping their job and uses that? But what do you mean by somebody in there? Anybody. What, what if you I'm had not, a congressperson in there who wasn't concerned about keeping their job and wasn't concerned about being reelected? What if you had a congressperson? I, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer that right now. Yeah. Matt, Matt Taibbi had the IRS come to his door. That's my But answer. even even if they, it, what they will do to such a person, that's why nobody does it, man. You know, I'm like joking around that they show you pictures. But listen, man. You know, they say something to these people. Well, they threaten, them, they threaten them with whether it's um, committee positions or that they're going to have them primaried or that they're going to. I do think it goes stuff. beyond that. I think it goes to, well, what do you think you're going to do after we make sure that you get your reputation completely dragged through the mud by the media to the point that you lose your position here and you've burned us so hard? that you can't get a job in our media ecosystem and you're not going to get one of those cushy board jobs and you're not going to get hired at any university that we have any pull at, then what, you, then what are you going to do? You're going to shake know. the cup on the street? I what think that somebody who has zero fucks to give that is in that position and isn't scared. That's what AOC said, right? But hold well, on. Well, but well no, you got to no, be ready to lose, no. right? I'm, I'm curious AOC to hear thing, the end of this. And I've said this for a very long time about her, for me, and I've not met her personally, um, is I think there's a lack of age, wisdom, maturity, and experience. And I see that also that concerns me with Maxwell and and some of these people that are getting in there, I think it's very easy to be kind of co-opted and be lured into some fancy high-end power career when you're when that's where you're at. But not everybody would necessarily be like that. Yeah, yeah but I'm not talking about twisting their arms. I'm talking about twisting the voters' arms. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about, you know, 
a, how to a get somebody like that in, in a position. To, you have to. You no, no, no. Have. I'm talking about. I'm, I'm listen. Well, what I'm saying is, if you think you're going to take over the Democratic Party, you're going to have to do it more than one congressperson no, at a time. No, no, no. no. It's right? not about taking over the party. I, there's. I have no delusions. The Democratic Party is going to go like they're. I, I, my only affiliation is that okay. technically I'm registered. Oh no, no, no. That's delusional. Okay, so but what's the goal then? The goal from like in my perspective is you need somebody that is going to take somebody and work with somebody on the outside like your Shama Sawant and be that voice and use their platform and bring labor back into the fold. But they're outnumbered. They're outnumbered. It doesn't matter. matter. You're not just takes one. You're you're not talking about actually getting any policy. That's 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 delusion. That's not going to happen until you have enough of a big thing on the outside. You have to create enough of a momentum on the outside that basically having that person when you want to call him a political martyr, whatever you want to call him, is going to make Congress look so bad that they're going to have no choice unless bad to who? Bad bad they're going to Jill Stein that person. No, no. no. Well, you're talking about you need about, like a Cary Grant type, right? Well, let's put it. Well, I, I'm not. Yeah, no. Mr. Potter and the whole great state. You know Jimmy someone. Stewart and uh, you know, Mr. Smith goes. That's no, what I mean. That's what I mean. Jimmy Stewart. That's right. He, he, he's what? right. I got the wrong guy. That's you, what I mean. Right. Jimmy Stewart. I, I knew where you were going. I was talking about her. So what I'm going to say is, you need somebody in Congress that's the equivalent of what someone like Shama Sawant was on the City Council for Seattle. You need someone in there that is okay being hated by the people and having people in there not like them to draw attention. And AOC started out that way. Yeah, she went in yeah. there. That's she what we started thought she was going to be. That. Yeah, and and it and it was effective. And the question is, how do you get somebody in there who isn't going to be co-opted by money and power? But how necessary is that person? This one person who we're thinking of, you know, recruiting and smuggling through customs right. and getting in there. How necessary how necessary are they if we do what they did in France? Like, I think these well, people can point. be bullied around if people make enough noise anyway. Yeah. So but I'm not I'm not going to go on some like treasure hunt to try and find some like Aladdin who's going to rub that lamp and no. make something happen. I, you know, like, I don't care. <laughs> Let's just get everybody into the no, streets and I'm mobilize and build and force these fuckers um, to, you know, give a little bit up because that's that's what's at stake here. Like when I hear people talk about these big ticket items like Medicare for all or even free college and things like that. It's like, I'm sorry, at this point, man, the the opportunity to fast track those big ticket items came and went with the Bernie campaigns. Yes. That was it. That was your chance. So but now so don't tell me about Medicare for all. You, I'm sorry. No, but now what you have is an, I, I totally agree. It right. isn't going to be about the legislative policymaking portion of what they do. What they also are supposed to be doing, which is something that they don't do, is they're supposed to be working for their constituents locally and helping do things locally, bringing a voice to constituent issues. They don't do that because they're not actually public servants. They're right. corporate whores. So the difference is, is that if you have somebody that is using that platform in that capacity, then that would, I'm just saying every person is different. And I just think, I agree with you. There's nothing going to happen. That's going to change the party. The Democratic Party, that, that, that ship sailed. I have no delusion. And there are are people who, you know, you guys have communicated with that, you know, just, I mean, listen, there, there's going to be, we don't do enough uh, crossovers in, in left spaces and just getting more people on board with this idea of a working class labor agenda. There are people who that's just believe in just burning down the whole damn thing. OK, that's fine. The way I see it, you have to know where the people are and what they're willing to do. 
And so reading the situation and recognizing that there is a way to get their attention without telling them it's Bernie or bust in certain instances or telling them that it is Bernie or bust in other situations. Knowing where you are, knowing your region, know I think your those audience. things are all very important. But the problem we are facing is that, yes, we have people that we have given our blood, sweat and tears to to get them into that position of power. And they're not willing to put their very comfortable, privileged life in jeopardy in any way. And it's much worse on the Democratic side, because on the Republican side, you get a lot of guys that are small business owners, that are entrepreneurs, that are successful. They don't need this life. Right. And but why is well, why does AOC not feel that pressure? She doesn't feel that pressure because she knows that all she has to do is virtue signal about LGBT rights every few days. And the yeah. brain dead base of the party is going to say, yeah. well, that's good enough for me. And it is good enough for them. But there's a lot of people that have been in her circle for a while that are starting to get tired of it because they rail. They recognize that you need fighters out there. And she is supposed to be one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest one, because yeah. she created a platform that allows her to do it if she ch so chooses. But that's her what, fight. What her your, fight is your... against the fascist GOP, right? Right. right We're trying right. to erase my people and what? I'm an ally. Like that, that's all it is. It's just this performative. She wants to be Nancy Pelosi. I think she's just decided that this is her career now and that this is yeah. where she wants to yeah. be. When they and get in there, what, here's here's what I think. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to slow the show down oh, yeah. by opening this can of worms again, but I did want to get a little more It'll of an idea of where you guys- are. with clips on our respective shows. Well, that's so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get a better idea of where you guys were coming from because I was a little bit unclear on it. Um, but when they get in there, what they realize, these progressives- is they cleared this major hurdle by primarying out, you know, a corporate Democrat, a centrist Democrat. And then they realize when they get in there, the bar is so much lower than that because now all they have to do is attack Republicans. So they find the cartoonish Republicans yeah. that they can dunk on and they dunk on them. And that in their mind constitutes a fight. There was just a video you talked about Thomas Massey. I believe that's who, Jamal Bowman just got into a screaming match with. I saw that oh, pop was up that on in my like feed. The congressional hall was that where that was? Or something? yeah, it was about gun control, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. a that's a moment where he gets to show his constituents what a fighter he is by getting in this guy's face and screaming about how he takes NRA money, right? That's what passes for a fighter in the Democratic right. Party, right. even to the progressive base. They love that shit. There's no pressure yep. on them to take things to the next level and start turning the screws on the system for gains like universal health care right? i want that there's just no example there, there's just no incentive for that because I now that they it. won they're yeah, not yeah, running yeah, against yeah. the corporate democrat anymore they're in they're there they're getting the money coming in right but now they got all like, these republicans but, they can dunk on and what? they look they're great in, doing it so they'll continue to but therein lies the rub when it comes to the gun issue the big issue that no one wants to talk about the biggest one of all is that society is breaking down People don't You're fucking right. care anymore. No. Yeah. They are willing to kill people because the world is a shit place to live in for so many of them that they just don't care. Yeah. And they don't want to have that conversation because it's the economic anxiety that over 100 million people in this country face every day. And they don't want to talk about the fact. You're lucky that there isn't a mass shooting every hour of every day. I'm not sure that there's not. So you're getting to the point where you really have to understand 
that there is a level of desperation. Listen, did the did the trans shooter shoot up a Christian school? Why do we have to they, mention I'm who that is? I'm only mentioning it because in context of why did it happen? Well, whatever their reasoning is, they get to a breaking point where they're like, no, let's just kill people. I have what a is question for you. Point? Is it a biological male? Because if it's a biological male, then that is case in point, all of these shootings. Sorry, all men. Well, uh, all, all, right, all, right, all right, all right, Jen. You're having a very different treatment of that shooting than you have when, say, your your conservative straight white male does it, where they want to they want to blame Tucker Carlson when that happens, right? Yeah. So why aren't you blaming the very extreme rhetoric coming from certain trans activists about people who have differences of opinion, even liberal people who have differences of opinion about youth transition, this kind of thing, as committing a genocide, literally committing a genocide. Now, if you're going to blame Tucker Carlson when a when a Christian, white, conservative, whatever does this, well, then you should be blaming those trans activists for this, right? Now, I don't, to be clear, I don't think you should be blaming either. I, I, I think it's a very dangerous precedent to connect speech to what random acts of violence people commit oh, I don't because ever of do that, that speech. I don't, I don't ever do but that. But they do that. it, they do it. Any time, can you imagine yeah. if this shooting had been some straight white male, right? It would go right to Tucker. Oh, look at this. Look at what Tucker said on his show. So why aren't we talking about trans activists who are threatening to rape and kill J.K. Rowling? Are they responsible for this shooting? Do you know that there were multiple swattings of Christian schools the next day, today? Are they talking about that? And are they blaming those activists and their rhetoric for that? They want a country divided and wanting to kill each other because it's well, yes. to maintain yes. the system that yes. is screwing us all because it's easier to do it that way. Rather than say, maybe the system's broken and that because we have 300 yep. million guns in this country yeah. or whatever the number is, it's like when you see Shannon Watts go on CNN, it's like this is only going to piss people off more. This is not going to reduce the tension. This is only going they to They just don't know what to angry. do with it. And they love to fundraise off of it like they do with Roe v. Wade. Gun if, control is like one of the Democrats' best fundraisers. But if you goals. look at the biggest voices, the people who are always on national television regarding this particular issue, it is always the most privileged people in society that have oh, yeah. in these positions. Oh, yeah. It's and so, so the one very, kind of privilege they never mention is class privilege. Well, of course. They and talk well, about every other kind of privilege, never class privilege. Shannon Watts is one person in particular who I have a, a level of disdain for when it comes to these political talking heads that I cannot even wrap my head around. She is as big of a Hillary supporter as anybody there is in the political sphere. She is always at these super high level fundraisers for the Democratic Party. It's It goes without saying that that is the embodiment of the party elite that the average person in this country cannot stand, will never stand, and wants nothing to do with them. The Democratic Party, if they were the voice of the unions and labor, if that was the voice of the party, then we would be having a completely different conversation. The voice of the party today are the people who live in New York City and San Francisco. That is the voice yep. of the party. Yep. That is the direction. Which is the Republican critique. It, very much so. Now, has, so how do we change that? I'm not entirely sure. It isn't by banning assault weapons. Well, no, that's not going to solve the problem. There's too many weapons I, out besides, there. Besides, with society breaking down, don't you want to be able to get a gun? Okay, first of all, I personally- <laughs> Well, that's, that's actually, no, I mean, look, you you make that as, as a joke, but that's actually, that actually is the heart of the issue right there. Yes. Is like, 
yes, guns are part of the problem. Of course, they are a big part of the problem. But the reason you have so many guns is because you have a violent culture. So yeah. you have a violent yeah. culture in which yeah. people feel a need to arm themselves. And then the fact that they arm themselves makes the culture even more violent. Right. Well, it's that, and it's, and it's, so it, it, it's a cycle. It's a cycle. So like the guns are not the cause or the effect. The guns are the symptom. The guns are the, the symptom. They are the, people turn to guns because we have a violent culture that is now collapsing all around us. Yeah. Right? I would also argue that you can't have a country with where the only thing we make is weapons and arms, the military industrial complex. Like you can't be the complete vision of violence globally and not expect yes. violence at home. That so, is, yeah. so yes. to me, oh, it's that, 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 that's Chris Hedges. You know, if you read uh, his last book, uh, I believe it was his last book, America, the farewell tour. He really got into that. How I don't think people who live in States like New York, like us, I don't, I don't know how aware we are of that, that, Arms manufacturing is like one of the only reliable manufacturing jobs left in the United States. That's all we do. That's right. And if we, we really do. reformed our military, it would throw all these people out of work. Like it's yeah. a jobs program building all these weapons. Well, and all of our everything that we sell overseas is that. Right, That's right, it. That's right, what we right. have. So for people to think that you're going to ban something that is the only thing that we make anymore, you're yes. nuts. You're right. nuts. Well, That's we also export. Happening. We don't just export the guns. We export the violence. We export the abusive oh, yeah. policing of other peoples around the world. And this is where the rubber really hits the road, especially this week where you have these French protests that are very successful and very rowdy. Right. In some cases, even quite violent. Um, people here in the States think, well, if we give up our guns, we're not going to have a check on the governments. Well, look at France. The French people are not packing, right? Yeah. Some of the cops in France are armed, not all of them, but the national ones are, and they have been deployed. And you see violent clashes between the cops and the ordinary people of France. The ordinary people of France have very, very few guns, but they are still able to disrupt and they are still able to affect the system. The difference is France is not the dominant imperial power on this earth anymore. They don't abuse people around the world. They don't enforce their will around the world through force and threats, whereas we do. And our policing reflects that. We have a militarized police here at home to the point where an unarmed population here, yeah, we would get crushed by the cops right. because the right. cops here right. mirror our right. international police state. Right. Literally, right? and that's, Literally the that's where the excess arms go that can't be like, that's why our police departments are so over militarized, because that's all we produce in this country. And there's only so many wars, I guess. And so if you got right. <laughs> to sell this surplus local, that's why we have police departments with tanks. Like crazy, cra the fact that there's a place named Cop City to me is absurd. Like th this is like, and people are, are confused why we have shootings. Well, that's, I, uh, well, uh, well, well they know. took they took that from the Guns N' Roses song, right? Right. Is that well, is that what it's look, from? The no. the Cop City is what inspires people to arm up because they feel like if the cops are building mock cities to run basically domestic yeah. war games experiments yeah. on the people, yeah. then we need guns. We need right. guns in right. case they come for us. 
And then well, what they, happens? This is what grabs a hold work. of the gun. They go and they shoot up a school, and everybody thinks, "Oh my God, what a horrible, dangerous place! I need a gun!" Right, <laughs> right. Well, and then it happens over ask, and well, over again. Which is why I mean, the people that, who are asking you to give up guns are people that live in, let's say, gated communities, or or live like somebody like Shannon Watts probably lives on Park Avenue. So it's very easy to have that disposition of, well, if we just gave up the AR-15s, that's going to solve the problem. No unless you're willing to change the actual infrastructure of the way the United States of America does business, this is a useless argument and is never going to go anywhere. No. Ever. Right. Right. I mean, look, I, I wouldn't entirely agree that it's entirely useless. Like I think, I think the guns are a symptom and symptom management yeah. is effective in treating symptoms, right? You're not going to cure the illness, but you are going to have fewer mass shootings. If you have fewer guns in circulation that's quite obvious. The you know what? We we'll also have less shooting. Without that, without the more systemic reform, there is nothing to stop that cycle from starting back up again, right? Because as long as you have that paranoia and that violence um, that is so systemic uh, in our country in ways that it is not in other countries around the world, then that cycle is only going to kick back up. There's no way to actually put a halt to it permanently. Right. I think a lot of it also goes back to lack of social safety net. Like this is a very desperate place and it's a very dog eat dog place. There is yes. no concept of collective. There is nobody cares about what's going on with their neighbors. When you look at other countries, it's not like that. There is a much yeah. broader concept care of collective. Even in countries, you could there's countries you could go ask the most conservative person there, but they're going to still think everybody should have health care. You know, like like we just don't have that concept of collective and that same give a shit in this country about other people. So it's only when it happens in the rich white suburbs that then people get really interested in fighting for the gun issue. It doesn't bother them that in poor and vulnerable neighborhoods, they have more handgun deaths every day, you know, in a week than you would see mass, you know, in one mass shooting. Right. Like this is this is the common thing. And it is a position of privilege. To, to think that, oh, if we just ban assault weapons, that'll solve all our problems, when in fact it won't solve our problems, and it'll just create a black market and, and all these other things, and it's just completely impractical, but it makes liberals feel like they're accomplishing something right. to say, if we could just do this, you know, that'll solve the problem. Well, that's and, like, that's, I mean, a perfect metaphor for that would be the ACA, right? They passed yeah. this this signature healthcare bill. You still have tens of thousands of people a year dying because they can't afford medicine, but it gave the Democratic Party something like, to point to and say, we've done this. Yes. We've done this. And now it is very clear they have no intention whatsoever of doing anything beyond that, right? Right, right. I, I, I you that's know, why so, the Inflation I, Reduction Act was such a was such a horrible thing, because they felt like, OK, that was our infrastructure bill. Now, we our, never have to do any of the other stuff that was on the Build Back Better. We passed that already. That's they're going to be, they're gonna, they're gonna be of dining off that for years. Right. Exactly. Another person say okay. that Joe Biden is the most progressive, progressive. president uh, of our lifetime. Yeah. No, he's like the most progressive president since FDR. Like, what, guys, he's like the like, next like, FDR. Like, do you do you feel <laughs> Like the, the, the over the, the well, they'll, they'll repeat whatever they're told. I, I remember during uh Schmovid, um, <laughs> I uh, I was seeing all these libs talking about 
oh my God, the way the drug companies were able to do this so fast. It's really a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. And, uh, you know, and I, I would challenge them like, well, do you know these drug companies are refusing to release the IP, even though actually the underlying technology for these vaccines was developed with government funding, but they're we not releasing the IPs. I actually had one of these shit lips tell me. You know, I, I love when they talk like they're insiders because they absorb that they really language from the media. They, they like these countries don't have the distribution network. They're not going to go build roads in, in these countries. That's not how the game is played. Oh, really? That's <laughs> yeah, not like how you the know game what, is yeah. played. That's the sad truth about being as as well informed about all of this stuff that we are, because once you are and you can't, it's like you can't go back to sleep. You can't unsee it. And then it. once you know what a drone sounds like when they talk on both sides. Well, I can, I can tell amazing. you what they watch. Like, I'm like, oh, you must watch this. You know you must must just by what they believe. Yeah. No, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, talking of course. Points. It's just talking. Yeah. They don't the understand. Overly, the overly smug, without question, are MSNBC viewers. Oh. The ones who are totally mainstream in their opinions are CNN. And the ones who think the world is coming to an end is Fox News. Like it's basically it's it, it's so easy to figure it out. And that's, you know, what they because the they don't understand the issues. No, because the truth is the people on those shows don't understand the issues. So they're not really explaining it. They're just stenographers reading whatever talking points they're given to read. And then those talking points sort of become a policy idea. Well, it's not really anything. It's just there. That's just your talking point. And it stands for nothing. And so you have people just repeating and vapid platitudes over and over again, all over the place. Well, let's just make sure that the people that come here tonight understand that there was a very important thing that happened on the Hill today. And uh, even though I haven't done enough for the American <laughs> people, I certainly did enough that's today good. for Howard Schultz, because let's face it, we need to stop the union busting that goes on in this country. So here comes. I do think that had Ber if, with, if with Bernie had been the we're, president. We're going to have to have you come on and do a bit endorsing our candidate he does he yeah, does our candidate was in the chat earlier extra bulla We're yeah running yeah him. he popped in he you know in. he does bernie he does trump and he does oh yeah bernie. no he does bernie and trump we're, we're, i saw bernie going, and trump. we're going full pat paulson we're running a candidate just let him know that i appreciate his efforts i i have to talk to my good friend joe and he is my joe is not anybody's friend he is my friend and he told me that i have to talk to him first about any endorsements i don't want to make any mistakes so Without further ado, I want to just recap exactly what I did on the Hill today. We know what you did. No, I did. I definitely showed okay. that Mr. Schultz. Uh, you did. Not not Wasserman Schultz, just Schultz. Just Schultz, okay. the regular Schultz. We're going to Howard show Schultz. exactly what we did. Are we watching this? Okay. We are <laughs> I was about to say, are we watching it or are, are, are we going to reenact it? Do you want me to play uh, Howard Schultz? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is, is, is that because we're Jewish? You want us to play these two Jews? Union-busting <laughs> campaign in the modern history of our country. That union-busting campaign has been led by Howard Schultz, the multi-billionaire founder and director of Starbucks, who is with us this morning only under the threat of subpoena. Let us be clear about the nature of Starbucks' vicious anti-union efforts. The National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, has filed over 80 complaints against Starbucks for violating federal labor law. There have been over 500 unfair labor practice, practice charges lodged against the company, and judges have found 
that Starbucks broke the law 130 times across six states since workers began organizing in the fall of 2021. Are you aware that NLRB judges have ruled that Starbucks violated federal labor law over 100 times during the past 18 months, far more than any other corporation in America? Sir, Starbucks Coffee Company unequivocally, and let me set the tone for this very early on, has not broken the law. Okay. Are you aware that on March 1st, 2023, an administrative law judge found Starbucks guilty of, quote, egregious and widespread misconduct, end quote, widespread coercive behavior, and showed, quote, a general disregard for the employee's fundamental rights, end quote, in a union organizing campaign that started in Buffalo, New York in 2021. Are you aware of that? I'm aware that those are allegations. What's the balls on this fucking scumbag? I don't mean to talk over the video, but to have the Starbucks cup privilege toward the screen with the logo on the TV. That's what they call product placement. Yeah. Let me remind you that federal law at 18 U.S. Code Section 1001 prohibits knowingly and willfully making any fraudulent statement. I understand that. Were you ever informed of or involved in a decision to fire a worker who was part of a union organizing drive? I was not. Were you ever informed of or involved in a decision to discipline a worker in any way who was part of a union organizing drive? I was not. Have you ever threatened, coerced, or intimidated a worker for supporting a union? I've had conversations that could have been interpreted in a different way than I intended. That's up to the person who received the information that I spoke to him about. Were you informed of or involved in the decision to withhold benefits from Starbucks workers in unionized stores, including higher pay and faster sick time accrual? My understanding, when we created the benefits in May, one month after I returned as CEO, my understanding was under the law, we did not have the unilateral right to provide those benefits to employees who were interested in joining a union. Well, look, you know, he unfortunately was lying through his teeth and I tried to call him out as many times as I could. You did. He did a pretty good job. What really was infuriating, and I did appreciate Bernie calling this out, when He's told that a judge found you responsible for this, found you liable for this, and he's like, well, we didn't do that. Well, no, that that's like somebody after a, a guilty verdict saying that they didn't do it. But no, actually yeah. you did because yeah. that's yeah. what we said. That That's what that means. That means you did it. Bernie also asked him in that hearing, did you ever threaten or, or coerce, you know, union employees? And he didn't even say no. He just said, you know, I had conversations that may have been no, perceived a certain yeah. way. But well, you know, that, that's the smart it. legalistic answer, because you can't you can't prove intent. If you got to build a case on trying to prove intent, you're almost always going to lose. Prosecutors generally won't even bring a case like that. Um, so, you know, he knows the law. He was very careful in those answers. It could have been construed that way. Yeah. Well, I am putting out, right. I am serving notice to each and every CEO of a major corporation in America and beyond 
that think they're going to get away with union busting. That is not going to happen. The buck stops with me, and I will be fighting on behalf of labor as long as I am alive, and maybe even after I die. Just I mean, <laughs> I think Bernie, you know, did what, um, you know, what is right in his wheelhouse. I mean, that's that's yeah, well, that, that's, that's thing, Bernie you know? at his best. Yeah, that's Bernie doing what he does. More notably, though, I mean, the reason I, I think this is really worth talking about is just what an utter demon Howard Schultz just revealed oh, yeah. himself to be in those hearings, right? Like it's it's more. Well, well, did, did you, well, did you see when he started uh, taking exception to being called a billionaire? Billionaire. Well, he, that's what I. He earned his billion. If you guys want to yeah, play that, it's right there. It's in wait, the wait, private wait, wait. chat. He took exception to that he qualifies as a billionaire. Or no, no, that is that, 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 that it's being used as a pejorative. As a pejorative, him. he started but whining. Yeah, yeah if, because it it is a pejorative. Because this is hilarious. This is great, but this. Actually, I love how Bernie handled this. He handled this in true Bernie fashion by saying, all right, uh, yeah, that's good, enough. Okay. You're out of time. No, he didn't, right, say, You're out of time. He didn't even listen to the substance of what he was saying. And then Howard Schultz says, well, that's not fair. He says, no, it is fair. You've had a lot of time. It, like he didn't even he wasn't even listening to him bitching about, oh, I earned all my money. Oh, and my he God. Wasn't having it. Yeah, play this. Yeah, this is great. That, OK, I grew up in federally subsidized. Ha- Let me finish. I grew up in federally subsidized housing. My parents never owned a home. I came from nothing. I thought my entire life was based on the achievement of the American dream. Yes, I have billions of dollars. I earned it. No one gave it to me. And I've shared it constantly with the people of Starbucks. It's great. And so anyone who keeps labeling this billionaire thing it's the show. I, I don't mean to cut you off. We have time limits here. And you have, <laughs> well, the I we have time I, I'm not cutting video. you off. It's your, it's your moniker constantly is unfair. No, it is I not. You have had more time. <laughs> I've been generous with the time. That, I'm sorry. But Mr. Chairman. We have a room full of people. He's saying it's unfair that you're criticizing me for being a billionaire. And Bernie's saying, no, no, it's not unfair. You've had time to speak. Like he wasn't even addressing the substance of what he was saying. Let me finish. I grew up in federal. Great. Oh my God! He's got so great. I, they really did you? They're so they're so oppressed. They, they've built. They've gone through so much. I worked so hard to make sure my workers could only make four seventy five an hour, so I can have a, a just, yacht the size of a small city in the south of France. Don't you understand? I just, what a scumbag! What an unbelievable well, scumbag! Well, you know, I I I t- I I actually I had this debate with a friend of mine who's more on the lip side. Who um, you know, keeps making the argument. Remember, that's kind of the point of view of PMCs. Like, well, Starbucks is the wrong company to do that with because they actually treat their workers really well. Now, I don't I don't know if you saw there was um I, I forget her name. There was um a uh, congresswoman from uh, or a senator from Minnesota who questioned him. And she said you know, because he was making that point. We give very generous benefits. We already do all that. And she said, do, do you understand that people have a right to unionize in America? It's not a question of whether the company is good or not. Right. Exactly. 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 I mean, if yeah. you're so damn good, like why she, would they I've be, never why heard of her. She was quite good. Was it Stabenow? For some reason, I think No, it's no, no. It wasn't anyone I've ever seen before. That's who yeah. I, well, Stabenow is, I think, I'll, the other I'll, senator I'll go, from I'll Minnesota. I'll go back into my – maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, you know what I'll go back into my library. I'll find I could be wrong one, about Stabenow. One of the things that was too. interesting is the fact that they did – like this concept of 
well, we provide good things, so they shouldn't need to unionize. Like as if you get to decide, okay, so we pay them this, so they shouldn't have to unionize. And it's so like, it's just so condescending and just so absurd to think that, okay, because you're the management, you get to decide what is and is not worthy. But what I do find also sad is that this is still happening in the same year when we have a president that just fucked the railroad workers over a sick day, basically, is what these people were really wanting is a sick day, an extra sick day, something like like absurd like that. And this is now we're coming. We're looking at it from the perspective of, oh, look at them standing up to Howard Schultz and how he's union busting. And, oh, we're really sticking up for labor. But but yet a couple of months ago, where was the fight for labor? You know what I mean? Like, this is where I'm seeing like such a conflict because I don't like this is also very performative because nothing's fundamentally going to happen. Like what's going to happen to this guy? What's the well, you know what uh, the, the senator, by the way, is Tina Smith. I put the YouTube link in the private chat. Oh, okay. Interesting. What should happen is people should boycott Starbucks. Like There really should be boycotts of Starbucks, of any non-unionized house. Because, look, the thing about Amazon is, you know, that's sort of unavoidable. Like, I shop for on Amazon sale, man. I have yeah, yeah. like, like well, I, well, I'm consumer choices. I have to do that. Yeah, there are a million not, places not, you can get a decent that. cup of coffee. You don't have to go to Starbucks, right? We, we just did a bit of, you know, my great grandfather, Menachem, uh, Dobular inventing hip hop on his Victrola push cart. It's a long story, but, <laughs> it, but in the process of getting the costume, <laughs> I chose not to use Amazon. It took you like four a, days it, to find it. It was a nightmare. It yeah. was a nightmare. This store's closed and this one doesn't have it. But and because Amazon buys out everybody just like Walmart did. It's the they've made it pattern. impossible to same do pattern. it that way. So when people say that, well, hold, why don't you just not shop there? I'm thinking Well, whenever uh, I can buy direct from like whenever there's a choice and I can get it not from Amazon, I don't. Like if I well, but, but that's the thing. an extra day, okay, whatever. I tried. Okay. Yeah, I tried. No, you can't sometimes. With Amazon, there's often not a choice. With Starbucks, there's always a choice. Yeah. There's always another place to get a cup of coffee, right? You don't need to buy that fucking burnt dog shit water coffee from this fucking I don't scumbag like who goes up there like- and cries about how, you know, like to actually try and make that a moral issue, right? To actually try to like appeal to people's sense of justice by saying, I shouldn't be. Uh, demonized because I earned the billions of dollars. First of all, you didn't earn a billion dollars. No one earns a billion dollars. You can earn a million. And then that million dollars is what earns you 10 million. And that 10 million is what earns you a hundred million. And that hundred million can earn you 500 million. And that 500 million might earn you a billion, but it's the money that does the earning past a certain point, or it is the capital that earns the money past a certain point. That's why it's called a that's why it's called capitalism, because capital mm-hmm. is what does the work for you. It's not right. called working hardism or <laughs> earning ism. It's called <laughs> capitalism because capital is the operative thing in the equation. That's what you need to gain more capital. You need capital. capital. And the more you have, the easier it is to get yeah, even more of it. Right. If you've got millions of dollars, you just go buy yourself <laughs> some treasuries. Right, boom. And you're making more than the exactly. average person. You don't have to work the money a day in works, your life. Right. The money earns more than you any could, person could work in 60 hours a week. But you could tell that he was 
like they're, they're really so, if they're really offended they're like entitled they really, they really feel like you know i i i did this and it's yeah it's, he's also the douchebag who pulled the seattle supersonics out of seattle oh my god it all and comes put down them to in sports Oklahoma for you, well, I'm sorry it's important i i, I mean <laughs> the fact that anybody earns that kind of money nobody earns that kind of money nobody earns that kind well of that money. that's a failure of the system and here's the thing i actually i i say it all the time i don't care how rich the rich are i care how poor the poor are so right. if if he's that rich but his lowest weight worker has has proportionately moved up with him then i don't care how rich he is he could be flying gold-plated airplanes that's fine with me if his workers are making a living wage wherever they are and have what they need and don't have to work three jobs to be able to feed themselves i don't care if he's flying around on like whatever fancy shit right like that so my concern is never with that i have yet to see in my life anyone live like that that hasn't done so on the backs of other people. Not well, it's because it's not really possible, right? If it no. were, they wouldn't be so paranoid. And, uh, they, they wouldn't be so paranoid about it. They wouldn't be so defensive about it. That's Balzac. Exactly. Behind every great fortune code. lays a crime. They buy our tax code. They, f- If you can get to that kind of money without, pay- without screwing over the environment by paying your fair share of taxes and treating your employees properly, then I would have no problem with it. But you can't. That's the thing. It can't be done. And so that's delusional that these people think somehow they've earned that. Right. Well, yeah, right. I mean, that's called a utopia. Right. And as much as communists and socialists are always accused of being utopian thinkers. Right. A world in which the market itself by itself truly provides for everybody. That is utopian thinking. That's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. It only provides for corporate subsidies and well, they get welfare. Which is why so many people still do not understand and can't wrap their head around the fact that capitalism can only succeed with socialism. You can't have it any other way. And right. it has been proven time and again in other parts of the world that are much happier, more thriving. Yeah, they may not have as many guns or a military industrial And they complex. do pay more in taxes. They do. But you know what? Their taxes go where they belong. In our country, the d- most... Americans have no clue where the largest chunk of our tax dollars well, it, go. Well, we don't believe our tax dollars really go anywhere. Well, actually. they do. They go to corporate subsidies. That is the number well, one thing by a significant margin. But it's not so, really our tax dollars going. That's there. true. Well, again, it's it's all about balancing the budget and where the value of the dollar maintains is because these corporate megapolies they get all of the breaks. And we need a tax. Right. I know a lot of people like well, it. Well, it's it's socialism for the rich. It's capitalism for the rest of us. That is, well, yeah. it's rugged individualism for right. Right. So right. Even then, it's not. You don't have the ability to stop these mega corporations from expanding their portfolio and moving in on territory. They buy off the local elected officials that allow, again, this is the thing about being in commercial real estate. You buy off a local elected official. You make sure that the zoning laws get changed so that way they can mm-hmm. fill whatever. Right they want in their area. New York right. City is horrifically guilty of that and has been for <laughs> yeah. many oh, generations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at how oh, much yeah. different Williamsburg and Greenpoint is That's now. Fine. This is, it's so obvious what the problem is here. It's capitalism. When you That's get to that say, level, it's, it's never, if any, you know, everyone talks about Michael Douglas's greed is good speech. It's the speech he gives Charlie Sheen, when he's in the office, mm-hmm. after he finds out he's going to liquidate Blue Star. It is the message of capitalism at its worst form in the best way mm-hmm. possible mm-hmm. to fully understand. It's not about bucks, pal. Somebody wins, somebody loses. The rest is just conversation. They really look at the world that way. I made a billion dollars this year. Who fucking cares? 
I'll make two billion next year. Oh, does right. that mean that you guys are going to be out of a job and that you're not going to be you're going to be living on the street? Although speaking of all this, I am really excited to see the new season season of Succession because I am sort of like I, I you know I I started watching it and it's good. It's good. Yeah. I, I'm glad you watch it because I've been told by a lot of people that I'm the only one who does. No, I I I actually really like it. I got caught into it. I think it's it's very smart. It's very it's good. It's very good. It's very dark. And yep. it's and it's a dark comedy in a lot of ways. And so I like that. Well, it's like, typical of Adam McKay's stuff where you really feel unlike something like uh Billions, which is a soap opera. I haven't watched that. You 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 know, I watched it and I couldn't watch it because I can't believe in a world where the SEC gives a shit about somebody like the villain of the show. They no. don't. They don't. That guy. The that SEC guy. That guy would be lunching with with Paul so G- Giamatti's uh, character. Think, well, Succession is based but on Succession Cooper with McKay. It feels like w- whenever he gets into this subject, Big Short, you feel like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Like he's showing you what these people are like. Nikolai the, in the upper, upper, upper point oh oh one percent in a way that I don't think anyone else captures. Is that Netflix? Is it Hulu? That's on, that's on it's HBO. It's a TV show, right? Oh, that's HBO. HBO. All right, well, there you go. Because I don't watch anything where I'm supposed to watch it. I don't, I don't, know, have, I don't, t- I don't have time to watch TV. So <laughs> I, I watch that and I like Yellowstone. You know, Yellowstone. Everybody likes Yellowstone. I refuse to subscribe to, uh, what is that, Paramount? I don't know. Again, I the things I get the things. I I, I don't know. Listen, we pretty much we pretty much have to do this like once a month or something along. But I do like that because we can keep we can obviously keep on talking for hours on end. It's already eleven o'clock. It's Um, late. Needless to say, uh, we could probably dive into three or four more subjects if we tried. But clearly, we have uh, (laughs) we have uh, you know a pretty good chemistry between our two shows, and that's really great. And I would it's really incredible. You guys are really great people. I don't really well. You guys always have the same. I feel like whenever I watch you guys, you have generally the same takes that I would have on things, and I don't find that many people where it's consistent like that. Where I'm like, yeah, I think that way too. No, we have to, but that's where the strength in numbers comes from. You know, our audience meets yours, vice versa, and even if you're not going to agree on everything, that's okay. Because the core principles of what we're fighting for, which is obviously through a labor movement that can't be stopped, it's been done before. It just has to find its way again. We have to use technology for the right things, not trying to get into fights on Twitter or comment on every post on Facebook and Instagram. We have to be using these things for what they're meant for, which is how do we bring more and more people together? Yeah, we're suppressed. It's going to happen. Well, and also like the medium – it does not lend itself to subtlety and nuance. And Thank you. I think that's a big part of what's destroying our civilization. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's it, it, so many of the things that are killing us are a result of our biological evolutionary inheritance being turned against itself because sugar is very hard to get in the wild. So we like it a lot because it's hard to get. Now we've made it available on demand. So we're killing ourselves with it. It's the same thing with our media. It's the same thing with our technology. We as a social primate species, we are biologically inclined to pay very close attention to threats so we've developed this entire media, this entire social media that is built around playing on the human impulse to pay attention to the enemy, the threat, the enemy, the threat. Always and, one. 
constantly, constantly, constantly. Oh, the MAGA people over here or the liberals over here, right? The the leftists over here. And it's destroying our civilization. Yeah, this is why I'm not on social media, you guys, because it's the people are too mean. Yeah, we've yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried to tag you when I tweeted this out. I'm like, we're Jen. Oh, I'm putting in Jen. I'm like, our show, like we're on social media. I didn't as platform, I thought, but I've, I've been, I'm also, I'm also like, I, I literally have been doing a little bit of work. I'm not kidding. Um, I've had a whale of a day. Yes. We all have. So, but, and um, I don't do social media anymore because they're too mean. Yes. And that's I really why I don't need that shit know. in my headspace. You know what? If somebody wants to have a constructive discussion with me, they can always email and I'll always, and, and I, I, I'll even, I'll even talk to people on the phone if you want to have a nice discussion. But the problem of what Russ was just saying, the, the, the yeah. nuance thing is a big friggin' problem. And people will always take whatever they think is the worst possible way to use yep. something that you say against you because people are inclined to constantly yep. want to be friggin' fighting. Yep. And I just, I just don't. Have you guys talked with uh, Steve Grumbine? No. Okay. He, I know he does the real progressive stuff, right? Yes. He ta- again, anything. He's an MMT guy. Yeah, we, we need more of the conversation regarding how we're going to help people better understand economics and how the yeah, monetary system really works and why the rich are able to get away with what they get away with and why we get nothing. And it's pretty obvious why that is the case. We need people to understand MMT. Yeah. We need to be, like I said, we need, there. The people need to check their egos at the door. There are people that you guys, I know, hang out with and stuff. They don't like us. That's okay. There's plenty of other people out there that we can rub elbows with, that we can formulate these relationships with, that understand the mission here. This is not about, oh, I want to have the biggest show. I on don't YouTube. understand why people hate on me so much. Because you're a bitch. That's why. <laughs> Well, like, I can understand why people. I can understand why I might like people might not cancel like that motherfucker. <laughs> 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 I'm of the Wasserman Schultz of the Wasserman Schultz mean girls that are down here. There was one in particular that there I can easily say what is. It turns out that you know she was mentally ill. Girls are but so the, mean. But the point is, like th- this girl was like stalking me and harassing me. Yeah. And eventually, I ran into her at an event. In person. Oh, she didn't know that's what terrible. to do. Because it's so easy online. She put, her, she put her head down. She didn't know. She couldn't look at me. It's amazing what people will do on social media right. that they would never oh, do. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I say. Like, if you would like to say that to me, really, I'd love it for you to come and say that. So, like, But none of these people would because they don't have any courage of what they're thinking. They don't stand for anything. They just want to be fighting. They just want to be hating and fighting and finding things wrong. It's like if I am the worst person that you have to be picking fight, like if I'm the person that you're directing your anger at, you've run out of ideas, man. Because because I am not in the power position. Like, why would you hate on me so much? Well, it's uh, weird. Uh, there's there's also get a again, life. Well, like well, Russ, it's like you said. There is a huge uh, element of uh, human jealousy that a lot of people really don't want to talk about. That there is a lot of that cutting off your nose to spite your face crap and girls that goes are on. Girls, yeah, us guys, yeah, we don't. It's true. I, I don't know if you guys know I, that, but girls are mean. We don't dabble in that shit. Um, I, I mean, guys have their own way of going about it. That's you know. true. Guy, guy, you know, I, 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 fi- I find the, the, the guys that I argue with 
They might as well be women. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, okay, that's another story. They, they've so like, absorbed that ethos. There's a whole other conversation, but I posted Well, that's like yeah. when my, my 22-year-old like hears somebody and he's like, oh, I want to punch him in his vagina. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that I hear in my head. And and it's just, oh, thank you, Lisa. And it's totally not politically correct, but I brought my son to a Broward Young Democrats meeting once. And he's my son's not involved in politics. He can't stand any of this crap. And he was listening to somebody talk who we just know is so like, and he didn't, my son didn't know that. And that's what he turned to me and said, he goes, oh, his voice, he makes me want to. And I'm like, I just started cracking up. <laughs> and, and, he's not, and, 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 and he's not gay. Like, that's no, 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 yeah. this has, it's not, it's no, not, it's not about that. No. It's, it, it, no, you know what I'm talking. No, it's somebody who needs to have their ass kicked is what it is. It has nothing to do with gender or sexual body. orientation. It is just somebody who just needs to have their ass kicked. It's really. You it, know what I'm talking about, yeah, right, Russell? It's, it's it, it has become. It has become yeah. a social. It's become a social club. Because you're right? my age. I, right? I mean, I mean it's, it's 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 part of the problem with the left. I posted this the other day and it, it set off a few people. I said. The people who are obsessed with their own victimhood are never going to defeat people who embrace the martial uh, virtues of discipline and self-sacrifice. And that's why we're on the verge of a fascist takeover. Yes. You know, I looked at we've said this on the show before, man. I, I whenever I see the January 6 people, I always quote uh, Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. When he's talking about the Viet Cong and what they're willing to do, he goes, yeah. give me two divisions of such men and our problems here will be over very quickly. I look at the January 6th people. I say, give me a left with that kind of balls yes. and our problems in this country will be over. very Yes, quickly. that's what I was saying. Like, imagine if that was that like that. Yeah, that is exactly. That's what I feel like I'm trying. That's what I want to do. Like, that's where I like, that's what I'm, that's what I kind of want. I'm not, we used to have a left like that of a violent breaking into a, a building. I'm not talking about that. And yet, and yet somehow, some way, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is still in Congress. Why does so. it always come back to her? <laughs> because I think that that's, that's because to, in my humble opinion, it's a gaping wound that for Gaping. what we've gone through, will never be healed properly until she's Thanks, gone. Thanks, Danny. And I think that that's something where there are exceptions to the rule with certain people that are in elected office as of today. And she is at the she is at the very top. And if that's not enough, she is as guilty of insider trading as anybody on that hill. She breaks the law all the time with complete impunity. Like anybody, they, who a lot of them do. She's them. just particularly bad. Thank you so much, Danny. Really appreciate uh, it. All right, get this trending. Keaton, what's your description for Debbie Wasserman Schultz? Oh, well, Matt Saibi actually quoted it back to me when we interviewed him, which I was very surprised that A, he remembered and B, he was he was willing to quote it back. But I believe I called her a raisin faced, snake haired, Medusa looking something. I forget what the noun at the end of that was. But she looks like Medusa. She really does. And She's I was very shocked. reptilian looking. The very reptilian. I and I, I was very surprised that, that Matt quoted that back to me because, you know, like making fun of women's looks is considered uh, somewhat cancelable offense. So I would think oh, he I might not want to do it, but I guess he doesn't care uh, oh, much Well, that's what, I, that's what I said. On, I, that, you said that on the show and I said he's already canceled. Well, yeah, he's already kind of canceled. <laughs> By the kind of people who cancel you, he's already canceled. 
when you're now, I don't know who you're referring to, Jen, when you mentioned, you know, the the mean girls who were, you know, hating on you and giving you a hard time. But but I mean, you know, we we um it's 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 our brand on our show that we will pretty much talk to anybody. Like we're not we're not going to we uh, are too. to shut and people out. You we know, always not, were too until people came on and were just so nasty and rude and disrespectful on us that I'm like I'm not going to be spoken to this way by people. And that is the only time that we've ever that I've ever been like, yeah, no, that's not okay. That's not I'm not about that. Well, that was done. Well, that was a that was done deliberately. No, but we have, there's a lot of mean girls locally here. And, and it's really like this very clicky, um, look, I mean, it's, it's a girl thing. It just is. It's just like, there are certain things right. that just that, that, that are very mean things that men wouldn't even think of that. You wouldn't even think that somebody would do like, there's been things that come up and I'm like, Oh, this is this. And he's like, really? I'm like, Oh yeah, this is where her head's at. This is, and it takes crazy to know crazy. That's all I can tell you. And You're I'm crazy. just, what I mean is, is that, yeah, we recognize, yes, I, there are things that women do that are extremely mean. There is no connection between sex and gender expression. What are you talking about? Whoa. Get in the camp. I, I, I was at an event this weekend where there was a guy who was wearing, I'm telling you right now, you would, third, you would think it was a third Reich hat that he was wearing. It was so, it looks so like, goose stepping like i was like wow why would you wear a hat like that now of course it had nothing to do with that but it was it just the the shape of it and everything it was so it was like something out of the i'm 1940s. not always politically correct that's just not no. i'm too old for that shit russell you and that's i mean a, like we've talked a, about this like i just i don't i don't have it xers well you're well you remember you remember fox news tried to drum up this thing that the xers have to save society from the wokes and the memes were hilarious people were just dropping memes like have you met us? Yeah. We're the last people you should be. Well, that's maybe why maybe that's why Russell and I make a good team because I think I feel like perhaps my sense of humor and my just overall outlook is probably more Gen X than How millennial. Old are you, I'm 36, so I'm a millennial, but I, I'm a bit a of an old soul in that way. And like I was politically conscious before a lot of my friends were. So like yeah. When I was a teenager, I was kind of thinking it like a 30 year old, basically. You know what I mean? So, and that's where the Gen Xers were at that time. They they would have been 30 at around that time. And so I, I think it probably gave me like I was never a PC person. You know, I, that was just I was never interested in that. That was that was always a major turnoff because it's so boring. You know, like why would you ever want to censor yourself? Right. I mean, there's always going to be people out there trying to shut you up. Why would why would you want to shut yourself up? That, it's just not fun. Right. It's, it's, it's not an interesting way to live, to like police your own thoughts and your own words. Is, you know, you why do are not ever as capable of thinking outside of the paper bag generally. Like, I feel like people like Russell and I, when shit went down, when we were kids and we were out doing what we're doing, there was no cell phone to call your mom. There was no, like you, we all had to just figure shit out. And it was somewhat Lord of the flies. And there was, it this, was, it was, and it, it was, it's, it's hard for me to imagine growing up in a world where your parents just don't tell you come back at dinner. Right. And then you just go live, go live Lord of the flies out on the, yeah. out in the neighborhood and you get in your little wonder years adventures out there. Yeah. And, you know, then your parent, my mother used to whistle out the window. To I had to be home, home when the streetlights came on. 
that yeah, was there, there was you know i mean i grew up in a neighborhood that was very italian inflected so there was a there was a lot of danny danny <laughs> yeah. get back here now <laughs> you know, there was a lot of that so, right around so dinner was, time you would hear all the parents yelling out the windows in the jewish hood it wasn't that different yeah <laughs> I, I lived in the second largest jewish ghetto we used to call it in the country at the time north miami beach was only next to brooklyn in terms of per capita jews uh, yeah, makes and sense. so like i grew up everybody was jewish everybody like i honestly until i went to college i knew that that wasn't the case but i hadn't lived that experience until i went to college all right, Jen, you'll, appre- you'll appreciate this as one of the chosen people. All right, so, so I ultimately got kicked out of Hebrew school. And um, it was because of a string of incidents like this. So I grew <laughs> up in an Italian neighborhood. All my friends were Italian. None of my friends were Jewish. My friends were all Italian. Right. So they're, you know, they're, they do a lot of Zionist indoctrinating in Hebrew school. I'm sure they still do that today. Um, and so they were talking about how the Messiah is going to come and he's going to bring all the... Jews back to Israel. And so, you know, all my friends are Italian. So I'm like, well, what if I don't want to go to Israel? <laughs> and they, go, they go, no, no, it, the Messiah is going to come and all the good Jewish boys and girls are going to go to Israel. And I thought about it and said, I don't want to go to Israel. <laughs> and she was like, fine, Russell, all the other Jews will go to Israel. You can stay here. <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's a little faith. Too much to ask. Yeah. One of my friends is a Jewish guy, half Jewish as I am. And we weren't great friends at the time. This is how I knew I was going to be great friends. It turns out he's like one of, one of my best friends to this day. He was he would just hang out at our lunch table. And there was an Italian kid who would sometimes rag on us for being Jewish and stuff like that. And we, we grew up in a very diverse school district but it was a brown easter weekend around when it is now and the uh passion of the christ movie had just come out and this like you know roman catholic sort of like little italian kid he starts ragging on this guy who would later become like one of my best friends and he, he says um i saw the passion of the christ this weekend and it was just terrible how could your people do that to jesus christ how could you do that he says how i watched it two and a half hours you're torturing this man how could you do that to him and this guy he gave one of the funniest comebacks i've ever heard he said it seemed like a good idea at the time (laughs) the best comeback line he just thought of it (laughs) seemed like a good idea at the time (laughs) <laughs> how can people find your work how can they get involved everyone knows how to find so, well they don't necessarily, no, they don't necessarily know, yeah go to youtube uh just type in do dissidents on youtube you can find us on rumble do dissidents.com our friend and fan actually one of our one of our fans just uh sort of took it upon himself to redo our website for us uh his name is jacob and he did an amazing job oh, so you can go to do dissidents.com and find us on substack as well but the quickest and easiest is yeah just put us into the youtube search once you're done watching this video just put do dissidents in and see what we got over there and it's always a pleasure talking to you guys thank you thank you very much guys a lot of keep kicking us and taking names and we will be on your show at some point you guys will be back here soon yeah i'm putting together we want to put together like a florida super panel for when uh tiny d enters the race so i'm thinking you guys will be great for that and that's going to be coming up pretty soon 
At some point. Yeah. And I was thinking you guys will definitely have to come to our Festivus this year. We do an annual Festivus and everybody comes and we do the airing of grievances. Well, Extra Bulla, who we're running for president, has his own Festivus show. So I'll have to make a tour of Festivus uh, shows. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll pop in at a couple different Festivus shows. Vote Extra Bulla. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Thank you, guys. Good to see you. you. Thank you very much, guys. That's it. So that was fun. And of course, as I alluded to, we can end up talking to them for five hours if we really wanted to. That's the importance of these conversations because it brings more people into the fold that want to see what we're talking about. And just by happenstance, I mean, the numbers will end up being probably pretty good tonight. So for those of you who are here and that may be new, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational exchange for as little as $5 a month. Become a wonderful supporter of our Small But Mighty channel. We're Small But Mighty. We have been growing uh, quite a bit as of late. We want to keep the momentum going and keep you guys entertained and engaged. So if you are feeling a little bit more generous, for $10 a month, you can get yourself not just the Lulu sticker, which is obviously great. Look how cute she but is. But also the You get yourself Munch of Parliamentarian, guys. I'm not kidding you. This is my pick for 24. When people ask me who I think should do run for the Democrats... I'm going with mansion and parliamentarian. Probably the best shot they got right now. Not to mention, think about the flexibility of that, since none of us know the parliamentarian's name and it could change. It doesn't really matter. It could be anybody you want, really. And if you are feeling super generous for as $25 a month, you can get yourself the Tri-Blend Generational Change t-shirt. You know you want it. You love it. It's really awesome. Really incredible. Tremendous people. They're really great. And so we're going to start. I'm going to get some more purple shirts yes. so that we have more of these. But Keaton and Russ are definitely they're, oh, pa- they're, they're part of they're part. They're Osiris. They're Steve Grumbine. You know, we have, uh, you know, like a core of people that we cross collaborate with. Jordan Charitin, uh, you know, Zana Day. Uh, we have mm-hmm. we have our people. We have our people. There are. And there's plenty of others. I'm not thinking about them right now. I forgive me. I'm tired. It is late, um, but this has but been- But the truth is, is I'll talk to, I do talk to anybody. Well, yeah. now I can't, now I can't go back on the Michael Knowles show because now that, that's a, that's a, that's a line too far for me. If Michael Knowles was just being somewhat reasonable and once in a while would dive into the topic of the trans issue that he thinks is really important because the kids must be protected, this is all he talks about. This is like the- But that's a lot of people that only seem to be focused on well, that. I it's still annoying. Think but again, why are they doing it? Because it's, it's, it's getting clicks, it's getting views, it's getting money. And that's what most of them do it for. They do it for money. They don't do it for principle. They could claim that they're principled, but the fact is it's a well-paying gig, especially- But you know what? When you cross over, and here's the thing, I'm actually, and everyone knows this, like I'm unabashedly First Amendment, and I don't even have a problem with people making hate speech. I really don't. You can say whatever hateful crap you want to say. That's not not a thing. But I choose to not affiliate with hateful people and to affiliate around that because I just don't want to. Because I just don't want to. But I support their right to say hateful things. You can say whatever hateful crap you want. We need to schedule next Wednesday. Not ready with that yet. Looks like we got to get people on the schedule. You are In the meantime, welcome, Danny. Next Monday, we are going to have... Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett will be joining us. And we're going to, I'm going to have a, I remember you when moment, not really, but it's just kind of funny because we've had her on the show when she was a state, when she was the state rep that was leading like a revolution in Texas, which was really cool. um, That brought her to my attention. You're very welcome, Danny. Thank you for your amazing support. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, we will obviously plan the schedule out. I just passed my 
45-hour post-election, uh, post God, I can't get this out of my head. Uh, Post-licensing course in real estate, it was very important. I got this out of the way. Now I really don't have to worry about any of that stuff again. Uh, so a little weight off my shoulders. I will be traveling to New Jersey, uh, but that will be next Thursday. So I will only be out of the studio on the following Monday. So, so it's news to me. Yes. Well, it's news and you've just found out. So there you go. So thank you guys for your amazing support. Really appreciate it. It's been a great show. Get it out there. Like and subscribe, share, comment, do all those wonderful things that we appreciate you very much for. Have a great rest of your week. Remember tomorrow night, the Gen Z Report, episode two, 9 p.m. Be there or be square. Actually, and I'll be right here. I'll be here for that tomorrow night because we're having a couple people that are not going to be in studio. So I'm going to be there. We'll work on that. We'll have a little talk about not showing up. The but business. we will be having CJ and Brayden and we have some really good stuff to talk about. The kids wanted, I, I have to stop calling them the kids, but to me, they're kids, guys. I'm sorry, but they are. So right, I, sorry, if you're young enough to be my kid, you're a kid. So um, the, the focus tomorrow night is going to be on basically um, financial literacy for, for Generation Z. Man, they really should have somebody from MMT come on. Yeah, well, and I was I was thinking like that at some point it'd be nice to introduce Steve to our little group and have him talk to them. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. We're talking about some things, and Braden specifically going to be talking about um, affordable housing. That'll be fun. Thank you so much, guys, and I will see you all next week. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.